It's July 11th, 2022. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 191 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi, nice to be talking to you. Hope you're keeping well wherever you're tuning in from around the world. Hello to you from Toronto, Canada. Salam, Dustan Aziz, Durud Barshamah, hello, hello. Uh, really honored to have the great Soli, uh, Soleimane Vasiqi, we know him as Soli, Coming into the Rook studio in, in just a few minutes, he's such an inspiration in so many ways. Uh, the way he has lived his life from the time uh, of being a kid, uh, growing up in a spiritual family in Iran in the 1940s, to becoming a big pop star in Iran in the 1970s, to difficult years after the revolution, migrating to Italy, then Canada, driving a cab in Canada for a couple of decades, and his commitment to forging new ground musically and exploring Sufi-inspired music with his most recent albums, back to his spiritual roots, you might say. He has this amazing story, and I think this is his first ever interview, uh, let alone lifetime interview, in English. Uh, pretty sure, yeah. And um, we, although we agreed that if he wants to speak Persian, he can. But uh, can't wait to have him here in a few minutes. Soli, our big feature in this episode. Also later in the show, Piruz Varaste will be here also in the Rook studio. Iranian-Canadian professional fitness trainer, wellness coach, former European and Canadian champion in karate and bodybuilding. Is it karate or karate? Either one works for me. I feel like I would say karate. But then to sound more karate. official, I want to say karate. Isn't yeah. Ross say that in uh, French? That's what it's karate. <laughs> a former European and Canadian champion in karate. Uh, <laughs> just like, oh, gee, I must do karate. Listen to him say that. Uh, he's also the son of the late legend, Dr. Farhad Varaste. Uh, people will know his name, the father and founder of karate slash karate in Iran. Piriz will be here to tell his story and um, why we should all stay healthy. Speaking of which, uh, by the way, hello, Fabius Kion. Hi, hi Groovy Shia. Hi, hi. Um, uh, speaking of being healthy, uh, I am such a sloth right now. I So the Iranian-American comedian Max Amini mm, was, yeah. has been in town for a few days. Nice to see the lad. And, and he did, uh, I mean, he did like six shows in Toronto, sold out mm. shows and over different nights. And he was in Montreal and in Ottawa. So last night I went to his final show, uh, which was, you know, it's a Sunday night, 9 p.m. And afterwards we go, okay, let's, we got to go somewhere to eat, you know? And so he, he, so Max actually was Googling like here I live in Toronto but mm -hmm. first of all we were up in Richmond Hill mm. no offense to all the beautiful <laughs> people in Richmond Hill but where are you going to eat up and I mean, if you if you, if you, anyone knows Canadian geography that's the north of Toronto and so he Googles and finds a place uh, a Persian place that's open somewhere way out in Vaughan scenic Vaughan mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's uh, and the place is called Shaboruz Shabaruz, uh, night and day. Yes. 
and uh and and he actually calls them and they go hello and it's like midnight and he's like you guys open he's like not really who is it and he says uh maximini (laughs) or something like that and they go come you know so anyways we go there and uh and we sit on the patio and we had it it was a great night but but the whole point of the story is max you know first of all he's a lean guy you know mm-hmm. uh he doesn't eat cheese he doesn't eat bread he's you know and he's jumping around the whole night on he's done, just done a show he's done two shows he did two shows last wow. night so he's hungry <laughs> i had a meal i already <laughs> ate dinner a few hours earlier you know but uh so max starts with that you know and he's kind of a big shot right so he's <laughs> like just bring five vaziri and <laughs> some cash kebab june and he's just ordering all these things and i'm kind of like oh, i don't know we're we gonna do we really need all that on the table and there's like four of us you know and he's like no just bring it bring so if i don't finish an entire vaziri and then a bunch of cash kebab like this is like two in the morning Oh, wow. I mean, what kind of a fool? We just had Dr. Rosa Moradi on the show last week explaining that we shouldn't even eat a, a morsel of bread. And there I am with the mound of rice and the juje and the. No shame. Oh, so good. But I mean, it's worth that's. It. It's worth was it, it. Is it worth it? It is. I mean, I feel the, like a bad person. The quantity right? of joy that I get from kebab is oh. like, can't, I can't. And let's face it, forget two, health. two in the morning kebab? <laughs> Come on. It hits right. The but, greasy bread. And Max have? had done the show and everything. And Max, of course, is like eats a quarter of what's on his plate. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't eat the bread, just eats the cash kebab of June. And, and I'm like, ah, yeah. you know. <laughs> the rest of them took things home in boxes, but like <laughs> mine was uh, everything near me was finished. Oh, it's so good, but yeah. um, and yet so wrong. <laughs> so uh, Peter's Varistea will be here later in the show to tell me probably why I should. And I, I'll just keep bringing people on the show to say no cheese, no bread, you know, it until change anything. It really doesn't though, does it? Mm. We tried, right? I don't try. Oh, you I haven't just even accept tried it. No, I no, accept yeah. kebab and bread. Well, I wanted to think that Max was one of these guys who, you know, eats badly and just happens to have a good metabolism, does these shows, jumps around, is skinny. But the truth is, the guy doesn't need anything. Uh, I mean, he's like, I, I haven't eaten cheese in five years. You know? wow. I'm like, who are you? What kind of a person? You're not funny anymore. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> that L.A. mentality. It's because he uh, lives there. Yeah, good for him, man. If he's got that kind of discipline, I, I could never give up the panier no the way. nuno panier oh. i mean the cheese and bread i mean yeah. what what what's a man to eat what kind of life is that <laughs> what kind of life is that uh, how are you doing kian june i'm good i know this week is uh there's some there's a festival that happens uh every couple of years or every year a couple uh, of years every in, two years to every two yeah, years in right. toronto called tear gone mm-hmm. and then this year it's called tammuz i don't know why it has a different name so it's because usually Tirgan does a Nowruz festival during Nowruz time uh-huh. because of COVID in Toronto. That couldn't happen this year. So we so had to ins- change the name? Instead of having a Nowruz Tirgan festival, they just moved it to the summertime and renamed it Tirgan Tammuz. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. There's a lot yeah. of titles this year. <laughs> so, uh, so, but anyway, uh, you've hosted it before. Have you hosted it before? Yeah, you're, that's right. So then the opening night is on Friday and you're mm-hmm. going to be hosting that. That's right. Yeah. Are you going to do it in English or in Persian? In English. English always. Uh, there's a. Banach, I was kind of hoping. Oh, Banachia is going to do. Banachia June, who we interviewed we know, on this show, Ta-Hering is on, yeah. doing it in Persian, and I'm the English. Host. Right, right. They trot you out to do the English. <laughs> exactly. Don't you think you should try it in Persian? Oh God, it I, it, it goes from a class. Salam, <laughs> <to, laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> It's supposed to be a classy event. It'll lose.
his class immediately <laughs> if I do an impression. Actually, Ali Parsa, Dr. Ali Parsa, who was also host, yes. is the guest of honor. And I'm excited because uh, the um, opening night is Rastok. That's right. And yeah. next, uh, we're going to have Rastok come in the studio. Oh, uh, yeah, nice. I think we're going to uh, tape it on, on Saturday or something to perform Beautiful. live in the Rook studio. I can't wait. It's going to be really fun. We are doing these. Um, so good luck this weekend. Thank you. We'll be Thank watching you. it. Uh, so this, uh, the, and I think you're going to shoot some stuff for Rook too. Oh, that's We're right. going to yeah, put yeah. it up on our yeah. on our channels. Speaking of our channels, we've decided as of last week. Well, we didn't decide this last week, but as of last week, we are doing one big show a week mm-hmm. for the summer. So it's the big Monday show. We did that last week. That's why we've got two big guests this this episode and and a bunch of other. Uh, um, special gifts for you on this uh, episode. So what that means is if you are listening to us on one of our podcast platforms on Spotify or SoundCloud or our Apple podcast or CastBox, um, you get the one show. That's the one show. We hope that you'll take the time to, to listen to the whole thing because you're not getting two a week for now. But um, and on Instagram, we're not putting up the full show. We're putting different clips. You get the full show on YouTube, however. And then throughout the week on our social media, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Telegram, we put up different clips from the episode. So one big show a week. Savor it. And I don't know. We'll see how it goes for us. Whether we, I kind of missed doing the Thursday show, but at the same time, I also enjoyed the fact that we had the one big show and yes. people were had had a week to digest it, much like the 2 a.m. Uh, <laughs> juju kebab that I had, <laughs> that I need a week to digest. <laughs> we're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. That's our website, rookmedia.com. And all, at that website, you can not only see all of our different programs, our guests, our funnies, our videos, etc., but you can support us by becoming a patron of Rook Media for five bucks or ten bucks a month or more if you wish. Just press the support us button. It really means a lot to us. We crowdsource this. So go to rookmedia.com. A big thank you to Hamid Reza Safi Poor for helping to make this episode of Rook get to your ears and eyes. So Hamid Safipur, Luxury Custom Homes is the name. If you're in the Toronto area or you're an Iranian-Canadian, you may know the name Safipur. Hamid got his master's in civil engineering and got into the field of building and consulting on luxury homes over three decades ago. And in the last 20 years, Team Hamid and Nina have made the Safipur name one of the tops in the business, a name you can trust to buy your dreamland and build your dream home. Safipur Luxury Homes have also now teamed up with Remax and they're also doing exotic high-rises that are beyond the things we've seen in Toronto before. If you're thinking to buy, sell, build your dream house, if you're anywhere near the Toronto area or are simply interested in buying here, get in touch with Safipur, S-A-F-I-P-O-O-R, safipur.com, simple as that, or 416-876-4918, 416-876-4918 at gmail.com. Thanks to Hamid Safipur. Now, I happen to know uh, Young Shia. You went to a big stadium show uh, concert yes, this, uh, yes. this weekend, right? Hamas got on. It was... Roger Waters. You went and yeah. saw the Roger Waters yes, concert. Yeah. Yes. So uh, now, the now, did you know this, Keon? Did you know he went to see Roger I did Waters? not, know. All right, well, the, here's the fun part. So <laughs> I want you to tell what happened, because I know you had a... 
a, f- a friend of ours actually got you the ticket, yes, right? Yes, yes. So yeah, you, yeah. and where was the original ticket? So the original ticket was like on the third floor and a row in the third floor. All like, right. Yeah, yeah. So here's the magic of Shia. Check out what happens. <laughs> so explain what happens. <laughs> so I went there and uh, I show my ticket to the uh, doorman and he was a very like a old guy, 77 like years old and and I was not the doorman or the person at the top of the one of the where, where the, the, the stands like the, in the, per, yeah. the person who leads you to go to find uh-huh, your seat the usher uh, 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 usher yeah. yeah yeah so yeah the usher and so uh, I it's Scotia Bank Arena right yes Scotia an older guy taking yeah. you probably used to do the hockey games and, and stuff yeah like. and I smiled to him to him and I said that like uh, you know have a good day and I was nice to him. <laughs> but I, wa- I I didn't do anything special. I, I I just was nice to him. But during the like in the in the break in the like intermission, the guy uh, came and found me and <laughs> <laughs> and gave me a ticket. And he said that because you were so kind to me, mm-hmm. to take this ticket and go through the uh, stage like in front of stage. So <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so I went like I, I was like in two meters away from Roger Waters and I see him and it was amazing. Aww. Yeah it, but Isn't that great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Only Shia. So what <laughs> did you what did you how nice were you to this man? I mean what, <laughs> I what did like, you say to him? Nothing. I just laughed and say like have a good day and thank yeah. you. And Moral of the story, always <laughs> be nice to people. Well, at least <laughs> to the happen. usher at the Scotia yeah. Bakery. So he comes and he just like randomly finds you yeah, and yeah. says, Here's a ticket to the front of the stage. Yeah, and yeah. he asked he asked that how many like how many com- uh, accompany do you have? How many ham raw do you have? How many yes? <laughs> did he say how many ham raw? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. How many ham raw do you have? But you're not Iranian. That is okay. How many ham raw? And I said, no, I'm alone. And he was like, oh, great. So let's oh, go there. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And then so was the was it a different concert from the stands than it was from uh, two meters away from Roger Waters? It was, Waters? yes. It was really different feeling. Yeah. When you see the, not not only Roger Waters, when you see the band like mm-hmm. playing in front of you, it's, it's another feeling. Sometimes I don't like being that close up. Like in a big show, because you don't have a sense of the yes. the stage and the the screens uh, and what's going on. Correct. Yeah. Um, yes. Actually, for Roger Waters, it, it's good to like at some point like be f- further and see the whole show. Mm. So you had the perfect show, first half of in the yeah, stadium. Yes. In the s- yes. Yes. Stands. Yes. It was really good, and also I'm really happy that I went alone. It was an experience that I've never experienced it, and like being. Have you been? Have you ever been to a concert alone? No. Wow. No. I haven't. No. But really? I, the, to a concert alone? And they've gone to all kinds of concerts alone. No, right. but that sounds wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> try that one. <laughs> yeah. No one to have to, you know, right? make small talk <laughs> with, yeah, except yeah. for the other people there. <laughs> no, it was really good. Yeah. Uh, well, Hamas Karonat, yeah. that is fantastic. I'm, I'm glad that you got, uh, you yeah. got to wave to Roger there. Uh, a political show, I would imagine, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like attending a political party. Yeah, Not so much. Uh, the Maximini show wasn't uh, as political as the Roger Waters show. Uh, more just picking on people in the crowd and and very funny. He's a he's a, a really funny guy. And of course, Soli, who's about to come in, mm-hmm. uh, did a performance yes. on Friday night, yeah. which I, I I got to see uh, uh, an outdoor show, and it was just so wonderful seeing him on stage. Excited to get to Soli. Before we do that. 
Um, I, I just want to mention uh, we can out this. We've been teasing it for a while now. Uh, coming up, August 1st, we are launching a new series, a new travel series, which we shot episodes, the first episodes of in London, England last fall. It's coming August 1st. It is called Talking to Persians. Talking to Persians, London. Yes. Uh, and Reza is currently feverishly editing this. We're, we're, we're getting it all ready to go here. But I should mention that this is not a podcast. This is a, a film. This is a, a video series. So it'll be on our YouTube channel. Uh, but we're really excited for people to see it. So get ready for that. That's, uh, I guess, it's only a couple of weeks away, right? Yes, yes. We launched Talking to Persians. It's only taken us a year to, uh, <laughs> like... Yeah, that's right. Well, September. It was, was almost a year ago we shot September. this thing. Yeah. Or was it October? It was September. It was September. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> In the midst ago. of COVID. Remember? You're right. You're right. We're running yeah. around London with our masks on. And, yeah. yeah. Well, no, there was no masks at the time. If you remember, it was weird for us. It but was there masks. were in the uh, in the tube and stuff. We had to wear. I mean, yeah. now that there's no masks anyway, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the mask era seems like yeah. such a long time ago. Yeah, crazy. Uh, but yeah, uh, talking to Persians, London coming up August first. Uh, and we'll you'll start seeing promos for that if you follow us on Instagram or any of our social media platforms. Okay, uh, Groovy Shy, the fabulous Keon, we'll see you in a little bit. Let's get our feature guest in here, our first feature guest. I'm excited to say that coming into the Rook studio right now, today we have a real Iranian musical legend. In recent decades, he's been known for his unique blend of spiritual and Sufi styled music. But as well, if you were a fan of the Rangorang or Mihake uh, Nokrei programs back in the 1970s, you would know our first featured guest. He's an Iranian Canadian singer, composer, songwriter, who was making a big name for himself in Persian pop music before the revolution of 1979. Take a listen to this. There you go. The hit song from the early 1970s, Halake Divana Shodam, that's the voice and musical work of Soleiman Vaseqi, or Soli, as he has been artistically known for many years. Soli was born and raised in Tehran. He studied sociology at the University of Tehran, but his love for music led him to a long life career in creating and performing. He began his career in his early 20s and was quickly introduced to a wider audience as a a pop singer by Feridun Farahzad. Alongside his singing career, Soli also composed music for himself as well as other legendary singers such as Shahram Shahpareh, Gugush, Leila Furuhar, and Ebi. The 1979 Islamic Revolution eventually caused the exile of Soli from Iran, and he migrated to the West, first to Italy in the 1980s, then to Canada in the mid-90s. But Soli's love for Iranian music has never wavered. In exile, Soli began to conduct extensive research in Persian literature, poetry, and different kinds of music. In recent decades, he's been practicing a wide variety of vocal styles, including spiritual, mystical, Sufi-style works. Soli is just coming off a big outdoor concert here in Toronto this past weekend and right now. Soleiman Vaseri Soli joins me in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. 
Hello to you, Jianzhan. Uh, I'm very happy that uh, you did invite me to be here uh, to this conversation and interview, and I'm very excited that if we can talk about the, you know, like a historia. <laughs> <laughs> Your 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 history, your distinguished history. It's such a pleasure for me to see is, you. I I I've wanted to do this a long time, and uh, we agreed beforehand that we're going to do this in English. I get if you want to uh, answer in Persian at some point, you're welcome to do that. Although I know your English is very fine because you've been here for uh, many poor. years. No, no, it's right. Although I do notice that you've cut your hair. Yes. Have you? Are you becoming a serious person now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, um, I had some illness and uh, I was in the hospital and so. Uh-huh. And uh, after that, I find out that my hair is losing my. Oh, hair. it's falling out. Yeah. Oh. And uh, try to cut it off because I had a long, long hair. You're you know? known for the long hair. <laughs> I've only ever known you with long hair. Yes. But now it, I'm I'm happy with it. It's so easy. You're very professional now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course. Uh, what's it like performing live again after the um, the break that the entire world took for COVID? Um, how does it feel to be preparing and doing concerts again? Yeah, that's that's very exciting because. I did a lots of um, live um, performance, live concerts, live uh, even recording, live recording on the stage yes. when I was um, doing the concert and so, and I did it a lot and I like it because you are facing with the people and uh, in my case, I don't want to, you know, I don't like lots of people, you know, thousand people, but around 500, 800 people that you can communicate with them. Mm. You can look at them, you can share something with them and ask him to share with you and come to uh, sing with you maybe sometimes. Mm-hmm. And this is a, a very, very uh, good good moment that you know I'm trying after two, three years now because of Corona and so. Uh, this is the first time and I'm very happy. It makes you... Um it feeds your soul, feeds your energy to be able to be in front of people? Uh, you know, in this uh, last two weeks that we were uh, rehearsing and yes. practicing and so, every other day I felt more ready to do that. You mm. know? And uh, right now I, I feel very good because uh, I decided, Jenny, because of the suggestion of two my musicians, uh, that uh, after years and years, maybe 45, 40, mm-hmm. like 50 years, uh, I'm going to sing one of those two old songs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one is hard. Yeah. And one is well, hard. I'm going to ask you about Well, uh, let me ask you about it right now okay. because uh, it's, it was interesting to play that. Exactly. What with you sitting here. Yes. Because it's obviously a, a long time ago mm-hmm. and it's even a a different phase of your life, your pop music phase. What do you think about when you hear that song back? I was watching you as we were playing that song. You closed your eyes, your head was moving. What were you thinking about? You know, all of the songs that I sang it till now, there is a moment that you are getting involved with it. 
and uh, getting something that's going under your skin. Mm. And um, this feeling, whenever you hear it, it's coming back to you, you know. How can you want to show them you know, one of the songs that uh, in Hazarchi uh, Sadupan Joe Pines, two years before revolution, three years 77, before. 77, right. Yeah, I, I had a uh, journey to Afghanistan. Mm with my girlfriend that she's my wife for 45 years now. Uh, we were in, uh, in Afghanistan, in Kabul, and uh, we visit uh, the legendary uh, music, Afghan music, uh, Jalil Zaland. Mm. Mr. Jalil Zaland and uh, his wife and family, they invited us and uh, he get, bring the musician, because uh, we were asking that we need a, a robot and tabla to buy and uh, take it with us. <laughs> and the musician with the robot and the tabla was there, were there and having a beautiful night till morning. Mm-hmm. And I had a uh, tape recorder, small tape recorder with me, and I recorded, recorded whatever happened that night. And when I came back to uh, Iran, uh, I made uh, some of those melodies uh, mm. for the recording. One is Hal Kedivanishan and Mirabi. And one is Golesi. Yes, another hit. <laughs> Some of them uh, is in that album uh, incident mm-hmm. that we recorded yeah. exactly the time that the revolution was. Yes, uh, yes. All those songs was hit, you know. Yes. Everybody liked it. Everybody Everybody knows that song. Knows that By song. By the way, Hala Kid, you want to, um, now that I've become crazy, right? Is yes. that the translation? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, do you... But I'm curious when you listen back to that, um, given that all of the music that you've made in the ensuing decades, very sophisticated music in some cases, very deep spiritual music, do you listen back to this and roll your eyes a little bit like, oh my God, that was such silly pop music, or do you love it still? Uh, 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 I love it still, but um, uh, was not the music that I could rely on it and g- grab it with me that I'm mean, this singer, I'm this. I was more than that. You know, mm. I couldn't stay for You don't feel like it showcases everything that you can do. Yeah. It's you know, one side of you. Exactly. And I uh, did try many things, many other uh, style of the music, mm. uh, like a very modern music, like a, b- b- making a, a song, uh, composing on the uh, new form of the uh, poetry mm. uh, in Iran, like yes. a Sorab Seperi yes. and so and uh, this is what uh, happening to me. I started from very childhood with singing Quran. Yes. Later on, Rudakhi Hall, the opera hall that was opening, yes. they were, uh, you know, hiring the choir. And I had a voice, I passed the exam, and I went to the choir, uh, opera choir. Mm. And in there, I learned solfege, notes, music, uh, and 
seven years of... Uh, How did you get into the choir? I had a neighbor who was accounting in to Talar Daki, and he he was always listening to me. I'm singing and running and playing mm-hmm. and going and on. And came to me and said, Talar Daki is uh, hiring Looking for, for the choir, <laughs> and you have a voice. You should try it. And I asked my father, and my father, right away, go, go, go. And but ha- hang on a second, because I have to tease this part of the story out, because it's very interesting to me. Because you first come to public attention in a big way in the 1970s as a pop singer. But you were born in the 1940s into a very spiritual family. In fact, I, I, I feel like looking at your life journey, the kind of music that you are involved in in, in the recent decades yeah. is much more return to where you, who you were when you were first born and when you were first growing exactly. up. T- tell me first, because you describe it as a spiritual upbringing, a spiritual family, mm. which sounds different from religious, uh, is it what tell, tell me what you how you describe a spiritual no, uh, family there is nothing talk about that much about it ah. you know uh, when you uh, you are growing in the family with the old tradition and all the situation they have my father was a big sufi mm. and uh, and he, he was open you know uh, my sisters uh, all university uh, and without any cover and he so was a Roshan Fex very uh, Roshan Sufi. Fake, right, right. very very clever and uh, he said it's in your gene like mm. and when it's uh, something from out that is calling you mm. you can get it you get it and you go after it and this is my situation after revolution I stay at, at, at in Tehran. Yes. Because I said, okay, something is changed. I have to see what is going on. And I have a lots of invitation from New York, Kabare, Darvish, and from Los Angeles, yes. here and yes. there. And I said, no, I want to uh, be here. Sergeant, let me come back to that. Mm. Let me, I want to come to the after okay. the revolution because it's a big, a big moment for you. Mm. But before that, so this spiritual kid, who goes to this? I want to. I want to draw the line of how we go from the spiritual kid to the pop singer on Rango Rang because mm. it's very interesting to me how how that evolves. So you were at, we were at Rudecky Hall. Yeah. you're in the choir. Rudecky, Where yes. do you first start getting involved with pop music? Uh, when I was in university, I was uh, in university. Uh, I have a bachelor degree of the sociology. Sociology. Yeah. <laughs> when I was in. The By the way, why didn't you study music in university? In the, I don't know. <laughs> this is uh, sometimes I think that I was, if I was going to the like um, conservatoire uh-huh. and sing, uh, learn music, I could do many things. Mm. So I don't know. I don't or know. you might be less special. Maybe it would have put parameters on your creativity. Yeah, you know, could, it would have yeah. suppressed you somehow. I right? know. I know. I'm not sure, but what happened? In university, I had a chance to go to, they call it, um, there was some uh, musician famous there, Ostad Parviz Atobaki, Dr. Reza Norman, and uh, uh, lots of people. University of Tehran? University of Tehran, yes. And uh, they made a choir there, mm-hmm. and I was there as well. 
we rehearsed two operas, Takhti Jamshid and the others, Fateh Babel. When we say opera, yani va- opera, opera, vaghan, opera, uh, with the big orchestra okay. and the conducting bit was. Shomega opera mi khundi. In Taradeki, when I was uh-huh. when I went to the Taradeki, you were singing singing opera, opera oh. choir, opera, and some small uh, roles. Uh, Even more interesting that you end up on Rangarang. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is where I'm going. Keep yeah, going. Yeah, that, that was a uh, good uh, term of time that I had because mm. I learned a lot. I learned a lot, but in university, with the conducting of Ustad uh, Esfandiar Mufarizade, we rehearsed operas, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a huge experience for me. Yes, and for the, the university because the preparing for the uh, that night was one year. Wow, and we. Played in the front of uh, Shah and uh, Farah. Shapani. Yeah. Uh, this would be the 1960s, I guess, right? Uh, I cannot. Well, speak. you're you're probably in your early 20s when you're doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. 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 That's right. So, so how do we go from there to your first hit? I have to play a bit of this because it's very funny to me. Yeah. Hamadi feel. Is oh your first hit song yeah. in 1971. You know, can, can I play a little bit of that? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, sure. child. This is a little bit of... This is Soli from 1971. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. So that's 1971. By the way, I don't know. I have no. I. 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 Feel can be done as an elephant. Yeah. How do you feel? This is a uh, long story. Oh, boy. You know, I was uh, singing, I was young, and I was going to Koche Javanan uh, here and there. Yes. And uh, with the other musician, young musician around, you were playing music and so. By the way, you're a kid from a spiritual family who's just sung in an opera. Yeah. And now we we get to this song, so yeah, exactly. it's amazing the the, yeah. the style variety. Exactly, See, it, it's very upside down. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to the Kachajawanan and singing uh, with the other musician. There was a young musician there, beautiful pianist and uh, composer, uh, Mansouri Ranjirat. Mm. He was very talented and. Uh, the story is, they gave him this poetry that he has to memorize it, okay? okay? And for memorizing that poetry, he started to make a song on it. And when the song is coming and it's written, there is a place that we need something to repeat as a tarjima. Mm-hmm. At the time, he was reading a book <laughs> the book 
is Hamadi Fil, written by Aziz Nesin, the big writer, Turkish writer. Okay. Aziz Nesin wrote this, and he was singing, uh, uh, reading. Uh, uh, Does it mean something in Turkish, Hamadi Fil? No, no. Hamadi Hamadi Fil is like a like a. Did you ever heard about the Goose Post? Goose Post and Notre Dame. Oh yeah, Goose the hunch, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah. This Hamadi Fil. Uh, characters. Oh, it was a name. It was a name. Yeah. Oh, okay. Is the, is the same character as Gush Porsche. <laughs> okay. Big uh, body, Gush here. Right, and, right, and, right, right. Have it, have it, have it. Yes, yeah. yes. Mansur put this name as a repeating uh, chorus chor, chor, yeah. choir in between this song. And I. <laughs> and I sang it, and I was in university. I was in summer camping uh, for the uh, students, mm-hmm. university students from around Iran, Doctor mm. and Pesar. Mm. And I was singing this melody with the uh, student orchestra that we had. Mm-hmm. And from the Radio Daria, uh, Mr. Shahrukh Naderi and a few people like that, saw me that I'm singing and the uh, students are, are very happy. No way. It. They yeah. discover you at the camp. Yeah. <laughs> and they uh, asked me to go and record this song. And Parviz Atobaki, uh, uh, God bless him, he has a studio, Studio Tanin in Tehran. And he asked us, come to my studio and recording this song. And we were recording, and then after I went to the radio and TV and uh, the. You become a pop star. Yes. I mean, you're there's you know we can still watch it on YouTube. You're on all these TV shows, and you're you've got these hit songs. That must have been quite a transition for you. You're 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 big one, big yeah. time, yeah, yeah. But because uh, uh, somehow changed my career. I didn't go for the whatever I I study in university. Right, right. <laughs> you know. So I let me let me ask you this. But you know, we've we've done a lot of, about music on this show, and 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 about the history of what happened in the 20th century with music, and especially popular music, pop mm-hmm. music in Iran, and and the really difficult stuff that happens after the revolution, the decimation of the pop music, and there's no industry yeah. at all in the 80s and 90s after the the Islamic Revolution. Um, we tend to think of the 1970s as this amazing, fertile time where um, popular music, pop musicians, artists like yourself, um, like some others, are are emerging. And it seems like there's the growth of something really exciting and promising. In other words, it seems like a really, really great time to have been a pop singer in Iran before the revolution. Was it, was it as good as it seems? Uh, exactly, because uh, there was an opening or a starting like a TV. Sazamone, radio, television. Sure. Yeah. Iran. Yeah. The national these TV are, radio. These yeah. are the big opportunity that has having a, different shows, like a Rangarang, like a Mikhaikin Rogri, as you said, and like a Karib Afshar show. And, and I was in all of them. That was the opportunity, and there is a bunch of chance, and the, uh, some young 
musician, good musician. Yes. Uh, uh, that who could make a melody, make a songs, or who can good uh, you know acting and uh, rehearsing the music. Yes. You know, uh, there are beautiful, and that was a good chance and good opportunity for years. Yeah. And after the revolution, uh, the situation is completely changed. I don't know. You have you want to? We'll get to that. You you were also you become this pop artist that's well known. Um, you're singing solo stuff. You're performing with Abby, etc. You're but you're also writing for yeah. other. Tell me about where the composing part came in. Where, yeah. where you start to become the guy writing songs for Gugush or for Abby. This is a good story. At the night of my marriage, there was a few uh, Afghan guests in my list. Mm-hmm. And one of them was uh, Mr. Ahmad Wali, one of the f- mm-hmm. f- very famous. And uh, Mr. Farid Zaland, mm-hmm. at that time he was playing tabla with me in the cabaret, uh, Miami and Bacara and so. Farid Zalom was playing tabla. Farid, tabla with me, yeah. <laughs> okay. and yeah. yeah. Uh, he's a good good guy, he's a good musician. Yes, of course. Uh, but I think of him as a keyboardist or as a piano player. No, piano he, player, but he, at the he, time, he was, he tabla. was yeah, yeah. tabla as well, yeah. And Ahmad Wali was uh, playing the music uh, for the guests with the harmonium. Mm-hmm. That he had. Right there, I bought that harmonium from him. Oh wow! <laughs> and I on said, your wedding night? Yes, mm. I want to buy this instrument, <laughs> and he sold it to me. And with that instrument, that was the first instrument in, in my life that I had. Mm. And I had it in, in my house and playing with it and uh, do something. And uh, I started to make a song for myself. One of them was uh, on the Hafiz poetry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and at the time, uh, there was a guy in Iran uh, French Brazilian, and he was one of the that who understood me very good, mm. and he started to com- uh, arranging the melody for me. And then after, I, I made a song for Khanum uh, Gugush. Uh, he uh, arranged it, and uh, uh, I made a song for Abby that I think this is one of the best melody I, I made. Which song was that? It's Shabbat uh, Zahri. Man o to bo labe teshte Tane khaste labe yek Teshme residi Pisherumun ame zamzam Sukhdim amma Qatrimam na cheshidi Shabazahmi was a, uh, a title of the movie that myself, I had uh, investing the money in there. Me and uh, Eric, the guy, French, Brazilian, he made a music for the movie, mm. Shabazahmi, and I made this song 
base of this song, he wrote for the you know, whole score. Wow. I made another one for Abby and Nelly. Mm. And for Arif, but the, at the time we were recording in the studio, Arif couldn't attend. And the part of Arif and, and asked Abby to you sing it. Wow. And Abby, uh, Abby uh, sang the uh, Arif part. And I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Ashamed, I mean, the, uh, the amazing thing is that at this time, like all of these names are icons now, you know, yeah, of, of Persian yeah, music. Exactly. And you guys were all hanging out together, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> running around together, making yeah, songs, but, singing songs together. It's it's always amazing to me. Yeah, and somehow. You were, just to make sure I've got this correct, did you sing at your wedding with Farid Zalon oh, playing yes. the tabla? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was singing and uh, and uh, Mr. Farrokhzad was there as well. And I, and I knew that he can um, um, make a mess, <laughs> you know. And I asked a few friends of mine that you guys keep an eye on wherever him. Wherever he right. goes, you go. <laughs> Had you you'd been on his show by this point? Oh yeah. So he was a friend Su and, and such a good friend, such a talent guy. Mm. Oh my goodness, and. Um, um, he was like a very serious guy for the production and acting. When he's coming in the front of the camera, right, smile right. coming right. out. Buoyant personality. Oh, yes. my beautiful. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, I, I wish I had... Uh, um, been a little older and had the chance to to, to visit meet him, yeah, him or yeah. you know interview him. It would have been incredible if he was still around. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of this sounds like again such a um, such a time of of excitement, positive energy. It's kind of like um, when we had Farmaz Aslani on the show and he's talking about his debut album is two years before the revolution and CBS Records is there and there's all this excitement in Tehran. And, and your case, Soli, is is really another one of the most heartbreaking when it comes to Persian pop music. You were this rising young star. Then as the revolution of 1979 is happening, uh, Islamic Republic basically decimates pop mm. music um, for at least a decade mm. or more. Yeah. Uh, Tell me, take me back to when you realized that with all this potential, with all this excitement, with all this newfound stardom, with with all the musical, the creative juice that you're getting from all of this, that suddenly overnight your career is pretty much over because of the change in the, uh, the uh, government. Yes, somehow. But, uh, you know, I had a... Uh, beautiful friends, musician friends from the childhood. Uh, one of them is uh, Mr. Kamran Khashe. Suddenly Kamran went to the Italy and Florence and now he is a professor <laughs> music, <laughs> music. <laughs> and at the time that I, I was telling you out there about the revolution, <laughs> about the revolution, the time that everybody was in, in the streets. Hoorah, Shor, and so and so. Kamran came to visit Iran at summertime mm -hmm. and asked me, there is a musician lady, Italian lady, in, to, in Tehran tonight. Can you book the studio? 
and what she she's playing tampura indian uh, mm. indian instrument that they keep uh, playing just a chord sound you know back background sound and i booked the studio and we went to the studio <laughs> This war incident album, it's after that night the lady went and tomorrow night at two two three, three nights I we, we went back to the studio with those songs that I told you that we were in Afghanistan a cappello felbedahe we start to play and sing defiantly but you couldn't release these songs I mean, you don't go to Italy until 1986. Yes. So for six years, seven years, you're in Iran, and uh, what what could that time? What, what, what was that time like for you? Yeah. You know, uh, the when it was ready at the time, uh, we uh, uh, distributed the cassette mm-hmm. at the time. And after that, after the revolution, no, I didn't have any chance to sing here and so. But I was happy that something happened. I, I, I want to see what is going on, but terrible. Hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, man. <laughs> anyway, so so when you're still in, I, I'm curious why you didn't leave Iran sooner. You could have. I mean, there were people who left right at 1980. Go to LA. Go to somewhere. You know, and you you I, stay for a while. Yes. I, I mean, some didn't leave. Of course, years, famously, yeah, Gugush yeah, didn't yeah. leave. You know, but you stayed for a while, and then you go to Italy. Tell me why you stayed in the beginning. Why, um, as I told you, because I, I, I was very surprised with this changing, mm. and I was waiting to see any result of it. You know, what is going on? What's going to happen? And then after, uh, story is too big, too much. I had a, a club, mm. video club, at that we were renting the video people and selling the uh, video cassettes. Video, video, mm. video, Betamax, uh, them, them, yeah, 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 videos, so. yeah. We were selling it uh, as a gachok. Illegal, yes. And one night, they robbed my club. I, I had Sorry, this is after the revolution. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. This kind of audacious, isn't it? I mean, you're solely the people know who you are. Yeah. And you're you're doing this stuff. I mean, uh, it's, it's you dangerous. Know, they right? robbed this club that I had to share it to, and they robbed everything. Mm. And I but like this, nothing. I do, I don't have anything. Then after, I started another club. Hmm. And the second time, 
they robbed me again and they tried to kill me. Who who was this robbing? I don't know. I don't know. Some people came with the car and hit me and I lost my time. All of the robots tendons in my mm. left foot. I lost my teeth. I uh, in a coma. I wake up in the hospital. After that, I said, "No, there is no place to live here, to be here." Oh my God! Wow, what a and the I, ups and downs of life, huh? Yeah, and I went to the. Uh, Italian embassy and the Iranian people working there they knew me recognized me and right away gave me the visa and I came out and went to the Italy to see that Kamran Khashe and uh, in the Florence we rented a studio and we went to the studio and recording the album of up watches. Yes, yes. It's based on, you know, sort of Seperi yes. and, and, so. and then after with that album I went to the Los Angeles. To Los Angeles when I said I wanna uh, distribute this. Yeah. this this album, everybody laughing at me. This is not making any money for you. Whether you are crazy or whatever. And I said, I decided. I, I, I have my decision and I don't want to sing out of the old song. Mm. This is my way. And when uh, it's done, it came out with the cassette at the time. My wife and children, uh, they, they arrived in uh, Turkey and they Canada and I came to Canada as well and I said I don't want to come over like the easy thing to do I don't want to take anything away from the pop stars who mm. did their work in the 80s and no, 90s no. in LA but the easy thing for would be for Soli to go to Los Angeles and make some shisha hash music and exactly exactly so, so you chose the a more difficult path yeah because because did you ever have a moment where you thought maybe I should just Go and start never. making music with Andy or whatever. I mean, you know. Never, because uh, right now, at this time, I'm uh, thankful of God for two reasons. One, how he helped me to come out from there. And then after, how he helped me and pushed me to come to Canada. Mm. And in Canada... This is a story that when I came here, I started to experience something else, distributing the magazine. Mm. 
Hmm. Here with the Mr. Hassan Zerehi, I'm sure you yeah, know sure. him. And the other guy, Bijani Binej. We started a new magazine, Saiban. And we take the Saiban name from the Sorab Seperi because it has a beautiful poetry in, in the name of Saiban. And we distribute this Saiban uh, for three, four years. And uh, that was a very artistic and cultural uh, magazine. But it's, it's a trade-off. Yeah. It's a trade-off because you know that the L.A. route could have possibly made you a lot of money. And the safety of having the cushion of, you know, yeah. the money and all of that. Yeah. Um, and you end up, let's let's be real about this too, which is uh, um, you're, you end up driving a taxi for many years in Toronto. And I, which I... I don't want to take anything away from taxi drivers. I think it's a very honorable profession, but that's tough work. It that's is. That's tough work. It is tough 10 work. to 12 hours a day, yes. seven days a week, from what I understand, yes. you were driving a cab. Yes. Soli, the pop star, yes. comes to Toronto and for two decades drives yeah. a cab. Exactly. A lot of people would see that and think that's a really hard turn in your life. You know, everybody could see that and say that it's a crazy guy. He is a crazy, goddamn crazy, that you are working behind a taxi and you can go on a stage and him. Da, 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 and what do you? Money. How do you respond to that? The response is, I was myself. Mm. I was free of any uh, obligation here and there. Um, money from the cabaret. And I, I didn't like to go to the cabaret again. I used to sing it in Miami cabaret, whatever, other one. But I, I didn't want to go because I, I felt I can do something else. Mm. I can do something else. And I started uh, here, I found out the Khanra, Sufi house. Mm. And uh, when I started to go there and I realized that what was my father talking about? And the spiritual path. Yes, it is. And because of this uh, driving a taxi, that was at some moments that you are by your own. I taxi. was going to ask you what yeah. you learned from being a cab driver. A lot, a lot. Tell me, tell a me, lot. tell me what you learned. Because you, you did it for how long? Twenty-two. Twenty-two years. years. Yeah. Uh, because we have to have some money to live. Sure. My, my, my wife working hard and I was working. You would, have met, you would have met a lot of interesting people over 22 years. <laughs> yes. uh, tell, me, tell me what you learned. You know, uh, when you are going to, after the Sufism uh, lessons and experience, it's telling you that you should, re you should try to relieve from your own thought mm. and your uh, your uh, ego mm -hmm. you know and in that time I was doing it because I was solely trapped yes. but I could see myself poor baby you know and that was a time that I, I, I was find myself big it's big amazing. big time it's amazing you know and uh, in the Khanagha as well, 
I started to sing, to sing with the uh, people who are playing uh, Iranian style music, sonati, musical sonati, and uh, with daf and so on. And I started to sing with them uh, a cappello. Open the book, and whatever it's it, they are playing, uh, I try to sing with them. It's 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 such an inspiring. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's really sitting here listening to your story. It's very inspiring to me, a story of a man who's committed to um, being honoring himself. Yes. He wants to be rather than material goods or what society expects you to be or whatever. Um, But along the way, were there there times when you were angry? Were there times when you were sad or pissed off? Like, look at what's, you know. It's everybody. Vazieta Mana, I I was this star in the 70s and because this revolution happens and now I'm driving a cab. Exactly. But you know what I learned? Whatever is happening it is not your hand. It's happening, and you are. تو قاطیه اون اتفاق هستی. خود اتفاقی یه جورایی. ولی نمیدونی چی میاد. یه مسئله هست تو ایرانی میگن که هر چی که اتفاق افتاد سب کن ببین نتشیه. و این اتفاق من تجربه کردم. But, but you do make decisions along the way. Oh, yeah. We talked about it. I mean, you decided not to go to L.A. Exactly. You decide to drive a cab. Yes. You, there's other jobs you could yes. do. I mean, so it's not just what's happening to you. No. It's what you're making happen, too. Yeah, but uh, at the time of decision, there is something happening to you hmm. that this is not in your hand. As I told you, I'm thankful to God that pushed me from Los Angeles to here. Because right now I can tell you that you, you've seen a lots of mess in Los Angeles mm. in between the big, big artists. Yeah. Being a big artist doesn't necessarily mean you're happy. No, no, they're, they're, they're happy. They're making money and they don't care. I don't know. But I couldn't do that. This is me. But after that, whatever I made it, I wrote it, I, I, I composed, it's completely different. That yes. Whatever you, you are li- listening to from the Los Angeles is different. Yes. Let me play a little bit of that. Please. I want to play something. So as we've talked about, after the revolution, the, the, the music that you are you embody and you become attracted to and you play and you write decidedly becomes more, I would say, Eastern, more New Age, more poetic, even flavors of Indian Sufi music, um, New Age albums that you that you make that mm-hmm. are inspired by the poetry of Rumi, Hafez, uh, Rudaki. Um, let me play a little bit of, I, I love this. This is a 2012 performance of a piece called Gozar Damidast. Gozar Damidast. This okay, is okay. Rumi, right? Yeah. Let's, let, let me pl- yeah. play a little bit of this. Yeah. This is live uh, yeah. from 2012. This is from this album, Banging okay. Camel Rainbow. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah
I think it's amazing. From 2012, along with the Iranian National Choir and Orchestra, that's Suleiman Soli Vaseri, and the piece entitled Golzar Damidast, uh, based on a poem by Rumi. Tell me about that okay. piece. Uh, this is the, uh, uh, one of the songs from the third album after the revolution. Third album in the name of Rainbow. That I uh, made them uh, here in Toronto. I, compose them and uh, I didn't have anybody to uh, share with them or uh, ask him to do the arrangement for me and so and uh, <laughs> this is a piece anyway I, I found a guy there's always a big story it is a big story <laughs> but that's it. it's awesome Every you've got a lot of great stories don't, don't exactly. please tell them yeah my, my um, uh, nephew was uh, uh, getting married in Washington D.C. and uh, asked me to go there and I put my harmonium in the car and with the, one of my, my friends that who could play a little bit tombay okay not Farid Zolan. He's not, not playing uh, Tombak this time. We went to the uh, this wedding party. At the wedding party, we were about five, six uh, family of the Damad groom and big 20, 250 uh, guests of the, uh, <laughs> the bride. bride. <laughs> and asked me, Mr. Soli, sing. With the harmonium and this Tombak, we start to sing. And in the middle of the singing, I saw that one of the, these film trees, that are film it's zooming on me badly. <laughs> the After, videographer for yeah, the wedding. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly. And when it's, it's done, finished, the guy came to me and said, uh, I was uh, one of the uh, cameraman in the TV Iran oh, before wow. the revolution. And I realize you that uh, and I know you. What are you doing for now? I know the guy. He's a good musician. I want to introduce uh, introduce to him. Okay, introduce to him, and I became some of my songs, the album, and Vare. He brought it to him to Washington. The guy listened to it. Call me. I want to work with you, Ferran, and invited me to uh, Washington. And uh, in the middle of the winter, with the boss <laughs> and Boxe Harmonium and Basse Harmonium, I went to Washington to the Mr. Jamshid Bostani uh, house. And they got very excited and so, 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 so. And it started to uh, arrange these songs for me. And uh, we made this, uh, this uh, and uh, distributed here and there. And that was a... 
Um, when you, with something like this, Gorzar um, Damidast, do you? Uh, it's it's different from writing a pop song. I mean, you've got this poem, this great poem from Rumi. Do you actually? sit down at a keyboard or with your tar or something or or are you imagining the melody i mean how do we go from that poem to what we just heard you know, with the orchestra and, and, uh, i know a little bit play piano uh, yeah. harmonium and here and there and i made the song when, when i was with the jam sheet jam sheet suggesting me come and uh, we change the rhythm we put it the they call it rhythm lang. Mm. This is a, 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 a in this rhythm is on five. Normally is on six, on four, on two. There is no in Iranian style music, Sunnati, you can hear more lang uh, uh, rhythm, but not in pop. In, in, uh, no, in, in of course pop, not. Yeah. But but the melody. Is that you? Yes, I love it. But do you do you write it? Do you just come up with no, it in no, your head? I'm, 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 I, I know that I can write the note, but there is no need. Yes. When I make it, I sing it, I can't sing, sing it, and the jam sheet, write it down. And do and you, when you read the poem, I mean, that probably wasn't the first time you read that Rumi poem, but say it was, do you hear the melody in your head? Where does it come from? Yeah, the, somehow. The Do you remember that I told you I made a song for A.B. Chavez? Yes, yes, of course. I was sleeping. <laughs> but believe me. You, you was, saw it in your sleep. I was in bed, and I had these uh, uh, boards. And I, with the words, I made it. And made it, and I started tomorrow morning, play it on the uh, instrument, and came out. Yeah, uh, you, let me tell you something about art. Yeah, art is uh, origin is in the gene, in in your body, in your head, in your soul. You cannot uh, teach art. Whatever you can teach is technique. Is uh, you know whatever the technique of singing or playing but you cannot play teach him how to make a song how to do this you can't teach creativity no wow no does that wouldn't that mean that only some people can be artists yeah you don't believe everybody could be an artist oh everybody can do something right. not musician and not they uh, right, do right, the right. music they can uh, but some of this you're saying is um is innate is is natural yes, it's, it comes in the in yes, the in the dna yes. it's not something that we can socialize that we can learn no no if you learn something um, uh, the, the instrument playing up if you had it in the in your mm -hmm. gene it's come out it's you, coming out it's interesting that you should say that because i feel like some of the some of the newer music when I make when I see you make it, um, I feel like it's almost I don't want to overstate this I don't, like I, I romanticize it somewhere, but I feel like it's transcendent like you are 
somehow spiritually involved. Um, let me play a, a piece from 2017 called, I don't, let me say, I don't know if I'm saying this right, Della Moshtare uh, Didara. Didara, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, let's play a little bit of this. This mm. is uh, solely um, live in 2017. <laughs> So it's amazing to me when I watch the video of you singing yeah. that um, and see you live. Your eyes are closed, you're cross-legged on the floor. It almost feels like, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm... You're not thinking about technique at that moment. You're involved in the music. Yeah. Your voice is like an instrument. Is it is it a different um, soli than the guy who would be singing the pop song in the 1970s? More mature. I'm the same soli. But now I know better. I know a few things more. I can feel it, 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 some things more than before. I can get touched. I can touch, hmm. you know. I can uh, sing. I can good, be a good listener. When you are listening, um, your value is not the less than the singer. When you are a good listener, you are artist. You are an artist. Uh, I'm the same. I'm, I, there is no different in me. But but when you're performing that song, slowly, mm -hmm. how much are you thinking and how much are you feeling? There is no thinking time there. You know, it's uh, more than uh, more than thinking. It's uh, out of uh, out of anything. It's it's craziness. <laughs> like I'm telling you, when you how like a divination dam? Like yes, it's <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. A, like a like a divination dam, divanegie. This is the uh, craziness. Yani, actually, when you sing such a songs, when you are singing pop music, there is no craziness in popness because it's every night repeating, mm. repeating, repeating, repeating. But in this case, there is no tekrar, repeat this. Wow. If you do it tonight and one more, one month later in another place, it's going to be different. It's improvisational to a certain extent. Like a, it's like an improvisation. It's not exactly improvisation, but you can feel it that sometimes you can change the things. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sounds like you would get bored singing the same songs the same way every oh, night. Oh, terrible. <laughs> terrible. 
No, no, I, 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 I hate uh, Tekrar repeating. I don't like it. No. It's, it's, it's such a pleasure getting to it's do this mine. with you. I, I, I am so um, enamored by your story, by you, by your gentility, by your, um, uh, it, it is, I've been looking forward to doing this and it has been everything that I could desire. Um, let me ask you a couple of final questions. Please. In terms of the way you see yourself, you come across as very humble. You know, um, I I introduced you as a legend. Yeah. Do you do you believe you're a legend? Not really. But you know, uh, when you uh, uh, name me like this, you are looking from out out of me, outside. You are, uh, you are not looking just at me, me and my production. You are watching me with the whole picture. But I'm a very simple, very humble guy. And uh, whatever I learned from Sufism is to be dust. What do you feel like you still want to um, accomplish musically? Accomplished, what do you mean? Good question. I don't know, what do I mean by accomplished? What, what on your musical journey do you still strive for? Uh, you know, I never decided to do this, to do that. Whatever it comes, whatever it came to me. And when you... Uh, when you let yourself humble and be be easy, uh, you can, you have a chance to a few things come to you. You get this, but you push it back this way. This is the situation I have. Right now, I have a, a few ideas, if I get a chance. Uh, to recording uh, those things is different as all of these, hmm. you know. You're uh, going to go, go into hip hop. You're going to start to doing some uh, rap music. Or? Not a, a, <laughs> my son do it the rap music beautifully, beautifully, <laughs> sure. writing rhyme and, and, and it's poetry. And it's poetry. Poetry, yeah. yes. And the recording and the music, he's doing it very good. But, uh, not rap music, but, uh, you know, if you go to YouTube, there is a Sohrab number one, two, three, four. That we did it uh, yes. a, a few years ago. Yes, I've seen it, In yes. a church. And then after Mr. Golam Hussein Nami uh, talking about the painting, Sohrab Sefer's painting. Yes, yes. And he was amazing. And one of the best things that he, he said on that night. The mind of Sorab Seperi when was uh, painting and yeah. uh, drawing uh, whatever the tar, 
mind was to the empty side, <laughs> not <laughs> whatever you see. It's interesting. It's really interesting. And this is all about, yeah, you, you do something and you don't know the, uh, the result. The page works to me again. Reflection, reflection. Yeah, yeah. You don't know what is coming to, uh, to you when you do something. I mean, you've so beautifully embraced your own journey. Yeah. You know, do you do you are you someone who has any regrets? Never. No regrets. Never. As I told you, I'm happy and I'm sure Kozar thankful, thankful whatever I am right now. We could learn a lot from you. I'm nothing, but if you want, <laughs> but but I'm telling, try to say, there is nothing that you can change. There is nothing. But when you accept it, you are open to many other things. Mm. Get from the whatever it comes, or reply to it. Well, what if someone wants wants to change the world for better? Yes, the better is uh, whatever you do with yourself and uh, people You're around. You should be kind as you are kind to your own. You should be kind to the other. You should be uh, loving yourself. You are loving yourself. You should love the others as well, without any uh, conditions. Different, mm. black, white, bala, pine, whatever, whatever. It's come and it's around you. It, uh, it needs to be. Look, I'm so grateful for the time today. <laughs> Merci Vaughan, merci. Thank you very much. The legendary Soleiman Soli Vasari Soli has been live in the Rook studio with me today. on with Groovy Shia and the fabulous Keon in the Rook studio. I, I could have done that for hours. Yes, that was just, um, that was a wonderful experience speaking to that man. Yes. What a lovely, you know, I've, I've um, met him a number of times and he's, and he's, his energy has always been so wonderful. And so, but all I knew was just like, I know he's a big star. I know some of the old songs and he's a nice man. But it makes sense now. His life philosophy. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a what a positive outlook um, uh, for someone who has lived through the kind of challenges that yes. he's lived with. Um, it's just it, it just incredibly inspiring. Mm-hmm. I found that it's a very calm, down to earth soul, and I loved what he was saying about how everything in life is is <laughs> like there, you can't you, sh- you should just accept it you can't fight it it's supposed to be how it is so 
um, as long as you accept it, you can have a That very must be part of his sort of spiritual mm-hmm. practice, yes, right? Yes, it's correct. Yeah, in the Sufism, actually, that was one of the main idea. Like, life happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it, it happens. Yeah. yeah and it keeps happening. And actually, it slowly gives me hope, uh, you know, because I also share this kind of philosophical thought with, I mean, I have this kind of mm. f- uh, philosophical ideology. And mm-hmm. now that I see him and he's happy, you know, I, I, I don't know about like his financial status mm-hmm. or what is, but he seems happy mm-hmm. and that makes me happy. Well, he, he's, he has no regrets, he said. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty major. Yeah. That's pretty major. And, and the incredible part of this is the sort of the latent toying with, uh, um, Persian stereotypes around Persian ideas around status and what's important. I mean, he kind of he he throws all of that in the, into the dustbin, doesn't he? Because he he, he I mean, even just the, the the driving the taxi part. Mm-hmm. You know, I I harped on it a little bit in the interview. I just thought it was amazing that this twenty two years I couldn't feel sitting across from him just now an ounce of. Uh, dissatisfaction or frustration or um, uh, shame or you know oh I was this star and then I was driving again. if anything mm-hmm. you know his his eyes were clear no it was a great experience I mm-hmm. learned a lot and so the difference between the Delta between the way the uh, he might be seen from the outside by certain people in our in the Iranian community oh hey should you uh, know yeah. his career got ruined by the revolution and you know but he's got saying no I'm I'm grateful I've had this journey and mm. I've learned from it and I've I mean it's just amazing like Special. what a what a an amazing way to embrace that and I would think that he's just um, you know, making that up or tarofing or doing something, but he made those decisions to not go to L.A. to not mm. be that guy, mm. and you know, and it raises the question: I mean, what what do you think of a life lived without the pursuit of material status? Mm. It's hard when you're Persian, so that's what makes him yeah. so much more special. Yeah, I think. Uh, again, I mean, seeing him happy makes me happy that i i makes me like continue believing my beliefs Mm. Mm. yeah what do you think of the um musical journey shia that like listening back to some of that pop stuff from the 60s it's so interesting to hear that before that he's singing the quran and he's (laughs) singing opera because that that gives a an insight into the kind of music he's been doing in the last couple of decades right it's not like that came from nowhere but he's the guy who's doing hamadi feel too you know (laughs) it's such an amazing yeah i mean it uh, he always i think he always goes with the flow even in a musical journey also i think he wants to go with the flow Mm. you know just improvise especially in these days like be free, be free, be free. I think one of the challenges for creative people is is how how much do you follow your creativity passionately and how much do you do what you have to do to make a buck, mm-hmm. which is also a reality. I mean, you have to, you know. Yeah. And so, so part of the subtext of his, I mean, he knew he could write these songs for, um, you know, these famous Iranians and he was composing, he's, he's performing. But he he wanted to pursue what was true to him 
creatively uh, and without seemingly a lot of concern for well, what's that what's you know how am I going to make the money and and I don't know how to um, I, I certainly don't begrudge people who uh, use their you know harness their creativity to to run a business to make a you know to to do business yeah. I mean that's part of the game too right but um, what he's done feels so pure and if you didn't see him like sitting uh and improvising over you know, with Rumi, you know the other night as, as i did i wouldn't believe it you know i mean he's the but that he's the real deal that's yeah. what he does that's who he is yeah. even even being a taxi driver is also it means like at some point you go with the flow with each like each most of each traveler you go with their direction mm. and there is no direction and this is the point i think there's no direction in life you have to just be alive and enjoy I do feel like um, I don't know how um, how we're supposed to do this but I mean I guess we do it by doing programs like this but I wish more of our community um, embraced him and celebrated mm. him uh, with his more recent records I mean I guess they're not as accessible as pop yeah. hits you yeah, know but all right. Well, you know, speaking of the of Persian music, we had we did an episode about a week and a half ago on the plight of Persian music, where we had um, the artist and uh, academic uh, Misak Moradi, who's just released her her debut record. She's a an Iranian vocalist um, on the program, talking about. Um, I mean, she was particularly talking about the plight of Persian women singers in Iran under the current laws there. But as the conversation moved along, there was a moment where we, she was talking about the standards of Iranian music and Iranian pop uh, and how based on the lack of a, an industry in Iran and the, the dearth of a, a proper music industry, the expectations, the bar of what is considered good by not just by the audience but by the artists themselves is so much lower than it would be uh in in the west say mm -hmm. so the quality of what's coming out of iran is not is not as good um it, it almost sounded like a controversial thing to be saying but i know we've got some letters that have you know, almost universally all agree with her so keon tell, mm -hmm. tell us what we've got here yeah so we got a few letters about that specific episode um the first one coming from Afshin Zarai, Zarai, saying absolutely correct and true, not just about our singers. I think many artists in other fields are the same, and audiences just clap. Yeah, the, the audience do the clapping. That That's a reference to the idea that, you know, we go through the motions of, oh, great job, you're mm -hmm. very good, you know, and yeah. but we're not really... Uh, you know, um, we don't really think that with like, but the real deal is a non-Iranian doing yeah. something mm -hmm. uh, more impressive somehow. Um, yeah. And so, in, in in a way, the audiences are enabling it, but with low expectations. What yeah. else you got? Uh, and then another one from Arshia Mardan Lu said, "Well, first of all, I shall say you can't be more to the point and frank. I absolutely agree with Misar on all the implied points." And yes, she is right in my opinion. The current pop music in Iran is really of poor quality. And about Misak herself, she is a voice artist who, in my opinion, knows Persian and international music very well. She has great singing techniques and skills, and her warm and trained voice is a pleasure to hear. This makes her eligible to criticize Iranian music methodically without any bias. 
Right. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it the case for uh, like pop music, Western pop music? Uh, what? It, which part of what? That? Like the poor the quality. Yes. I, some of it. I don't think Ed Sheeran is poor quality. I think those are great, great songs. Mm, yeah, we have like or Beyonce or something. I don't know. I'd say that about rap, like modern today's rap mm-hmm. does not compare to early nineties, mm. like late night. Yeah, that's what I would think of. Um, and then we have Mahlon Moradi said, "Can't agree more with Misal. The current Persian pop music in Iran is not at the same level as global music since most of the current pop singers in Iran." don't have proper training and academic knowledge in music. Yeah. That's Pretty the, true. If you don't have the the pedigree, if you don't have the, the yeah. industry, how are you supposed to be as good? Uh, so well, thank you for those comments and, and uh, keep them coming in based on Soli or based on anything we talk about on the show. Info at rookmedia.com is where to send your letters. Info at rookmedia.com or uh, post on any of our platforms. Thank you, Keon. Thank you, uh, Groovy Shy. Let's get to our next guest. He's about to come into the Rook studio as well. Our next guest is an Iranian-Canadian professional fitness trainer, wellness coach, and a former European and Canadian champion in karate and bodybuilding. Piruz Varaster is his name, and he happens to also be the son of the late father and founder of karate in Iran, Dr. Fathod Varaster. Peters migrated to Canada in his late teens in 1986 and has been the recipient of numerous championship titles and awards in karate and kickboxing throughout the years. He's the two-time Canadian champion in karate, a winner of the World Qualifier Canadian Championship, and has been the welterweight champion of Canada. He's also been ranked amongst the top five in Canadian open bodybuilding competitions. And... He is also the older brother, or Dadosh, as we might say, of another Canadian champion, his sister Nassim Varaste, who we are familiar with. And right now, Piruz Varaste joins me live in the Rook studio. Hello, sir. Hello there. Very pleasure to be here, Jean. Very nice to have you here. Thank you. You're, you. You've been in Canada for almost your entire life, and yet you still talk like an Iruni guy. Uh, yeah, it's because uh, what, what it is is all my life I had Persians. I was surrounded by Persians. I gotta think it's People something tell me like you're that. You're a true Persian because even the Persian songs I enjoy. See, and, if and I you grew along. up like I did in yeah, a really, yeah. really white, non Persian yeah. community, you would talk more, you'd yeah. try and talk more Canadian. But you've well, got the you've honest, got the nice little Persian accent. Yeah, you know. yeah. I have some, uh, not, the, not the young Estirit style, no, but no. <laughs> not that deep. Like, I got some, no. you know, not unlike my sister because she was, Nassim was a lot younger and she lost, uh, she got, she got no accent. Canadian. Yeah. No, you don't yeah, have thing. the, I am going to yeah. Starbucks. I don't have the Estirit No, you don't have that, but you've got a little bit of something. Enough to blow it off. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really nice to have you here. I mean, I, I feel like we have to, your family is so impressive that at one point or another, we're going to have to bring every, every member of the family no, into it's, the, it's, it's the Rook studio. Yeah, we've of course had um, wonderful Nassim here, um, so it's a pleasure. Thank you for doing this. I know you just completed this twenty-one day challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching you do it on Instagram. I guess I should have been participating rather than just that watching on Instagram. Been, I would but love to have. You. It that looked really so inclusive. It looked like people of different shapes and sizes and ages yeah. tell, tell us about what this 21 day challenge is uh, to be uh, completely honest with you the idea came to me uh, in my dream you know and you know there's something they say listen to your inner self and uh, that's how it came along because i really uh, studied and read up about this that it's your intuition and the things that your head starts telling you 
uh, if you listen to it, uh, it's, it's, it's telling you the right way, it's never wrong, and, and go ahead. So it came to my dream, and it was like, I did something different last year. I did a 5 a.m. Uh, challenge, which was m mostly for myself because I was going through depression. And, uh, you know, I did it to go and heal in the nature. I mm. figured instead of just start taking medication for this, and I heard that nature, especially when the universe wakes up from 5 to 7 a.m. Mm. So it's got these powers, especially when you're surrounded by trees and the beauty of the nature and the oxygen is just extra fresh. And went out there and just said, okay, let's, let's get out there and do it. And uh, I was just dragging it a little bit, a uh, month and a uh, couple of months. And one morning, uh, all of a sudden at 4 a.m. I woke up sharp. And I go, this must be a sign from God. I gotta do this 5 a.m. Mm. film. I know I wasn't planning to record it and, and, and you know, talk to about, uh, about it to anyone, but pure for my, purely for myself. When I went out there, I just, as soon as like 10, 15 minutes goes by and I start breathing and touching the trees and praying a bit, I'm like, oh my God, I'm just feeling something's going on. And, and it's amazing that the lighting, uh, especially when it's close to summer, uh, changes every yeah. five to 10 minutes. Yeah. And the birds start singing. Yeah. And it's just like every, th every five to 10 minutes is different. It gets lighter. The nature is actually speaking with you. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I don't, like, I, you should never go out with a headset and listen to your music because it's the nature that mm. talks to you. Literally. Yeah. You feel the trees, you walk, and I just felt such an amazing thing. And I had my phone with me. I go, let me just, uh, you know, record a couple of segments uh, of this and see how I'm feeling. And I tell people I went, there was like a pond, there's water running, and I sat down and I did some meditation. You know, I'm very much spiritual, so I did some meditation. Hang there. on a second, two things. One, yeah. be, this table is very, very sensitive. Oh, so okay. don't you keep hitting it. You don't have headphones. Uh, so uh, no, I'm just, you're like the Hulk. You know, <laughs> anything you touch, it might break. So right. just be very, yeah, very well, careful I'm, with the table because we sure don't bang up your. your no, we just we hear it on the microphone. So, so we, oh, okay, uh, okay. But secondly, you know, I I used to. Uh, it's just as you're talking about it, I'm getting, I'm I'm mad at myself because for a few years, for many years, I was running and I would get up super early in the morning and run. Mm -hmm. And now I've changed my routine where I still get up early, but I do some work stuff and, and then I do, go to the gym later in the day. Yeah. But you're right. There is something about 5 a.m., so, 6 a.m. Yeah, oh yeah, you finish your workout or even you finish your just you exercise have, activity and it's man. still just 7 a.m. You have yeah. so many hours in yeah. a day. Exactly. And but and it mean, is a the, magical the, the hour. Ener yeah, There's it's a magical hour because the energy and the air is so fresh because you think about it today, if you went out at 2 in the afternoon or we were speaking right now even two hours ago, you would get exhausted. Humidity is up, right, the sun is right. at all peak. There, like I said, you really see, especially 5 to 6, even this year when I did. So anyways, make the long story short, for the 5 a.m., that was more healing and ended up helping a lot of people. They healed from it. They would message me. Oh, my God, there was a guy from Iran and said that his doctors told him he's, uh, he's, he was under... COVID and a uh, uh, bad situation, they told him he has to go through like about a year of therapy to heal. And then he ended up going to a park and started doing karate techniques and stuff. And you were like, just uh, on Instagram just telling, telling people to go. This whole time, every day I'm live with these people. I so see, he right, said, right. I went after five weeks and I did this and I can't believe it. I'm throwing karate. It was a karate practice. Can I tell you a secret? Karateka. One of the reasons I've wanted to have you on this show for a while, mm -hmm. it's not just that you were a champion karate guy and that you're the amazing legacy of your father, etc. Uh, about a year ago or about a year and a half ago, I, I had at least five different people tell me, this yeah. guy is really inspiring me. They, they mm. were talking about this, this yes. 5 a.m. thing that exactly. you were doing. Exactly, this was the five. Yeah. yeah. So the 21 day challenges came to me in my dream. The, the 50 was completed last summer. I was thinking of doing something like that and this intuition came to me in my dream. And 
I thought, you know what, what a good way because not everybody's like super athletic and especially Persian to attack that community because, you know, Persian people, like I always say, they're Varzish Dust, not Varzish Kar. Right? We love translate that. All these things, we cheer, but, yeah. we like cheering uh, athleticism, exactly, but we don't yeah. do it. So I'm like, you guys, uh, and they're un ready to go under the knife, have any kind of crazy surgery <laughs> done to them, and do the most dramatic diet of like killing themselves literally for three weeks to get ready right. for a party or an event. But little they put this idea in their head that actually exercising makes you healthy. First of all, number one, what happens to health if they cut you over and take something out and put something in? You, Do you don't really find healthy. that's a thing with Persians? Uh, I really. Uh, I mean, you would know. Ex I they're mean, extreme people, Persians, because mostly a lot of my most of my clients are Persians right, and right. other than Persians as well. But Persians are extreme people. Persians are tambal, <laughs> lazy, lazy, exactly. So we would know, rather go rather pay the surgery for the yeah, fifty thousand like dollar like, they like rather short term <laughs> stuff and effective <laughs> and terrible. just get rid of I'm like, guys, you have to just feel good coming out of the shower the way you came to this of earth. Course, you go yeah. look in the mirror. And if you go by that and keep your weight within five pounds of your worst to your best, you're always gonna stay in shape. Right. So with so, so, this so, twenty one yeah, days, 20 I figured yeah. let me do something that no one has excuses. I said, I'm gonna do this. Uh, this is my purpose in life to do good in this world. Uh, I'm not there just to make money for myself. This is how I'm going to do something. And I didn't know who's going to show up. Well, I told my boot camp members, so I knew seven or eight of them. They told me to come, but if no one even showed up, I would have done it. So I went and I was surprised on my first day, June 1st, it started. And oh my God, 15, 20 people are there that I don't know. And I started saying, wow, like people, if you're those who cannot join us, Create a little group like this with uh -huh. your close friends anywhere you are, Iran. And you're just walking. Anywhere. What you're are you doing? Just walking. You're just walking. But it ended up people, uh, they got so hyper and stuff from me because <laughs> I'm a hyper person. So they're like, can we do a little running? I go, okay, let's try to do a little running, but we want to keep the group thing together. Run, but come back to us. Let me ask you something else too, though. And this is put, put on your wellness coach, uh, your professional trainer hat here. If let's say I'm somebody who does, generally doesn't get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Because I'll bet there's a bunch of people thinking this out there. Right. Let's say I, I'm I'm generally sleep de deprived. If I go to bed at two in the morning, mm. I don't want to, but I, it's been a long day and I had to do some work late at night or something, and so right, right. I'm going to go to bed at two a.m. Yeah. Uh, and I have the opportunity to sleep until seven thirty mm -hmm. uh, before I go to work, for example, mm -hmm. or I could get up at 5 a.m. and do the, and, and, and go outside, mm. which will mean I'm only gonna get three hours of sleep. Right, right. Which do you recommend? Okay, so here's the thing that uh, I didn't mention about this, but now you reminded me of it. So part of this 21-day challenge, there's actually something called 21-day fix, if people read up about it on the internet, is to step out of your comfort zone. Right. Okay. So it's stepping out of your combat. They say every um, you know thing that you want change in your life. If you want to get rid of a bad habit and introduce a new habit to it, uh, you know, step out of your comfort zone. Do that. So the idea behind this is actually myself. I'm not an early sleeper. Most Persians we don't like to go to bed at <laughs> right. at ten thirty, right. eleven o'clock. So far, Persians are, are lazy and they yeah. go to bed at three. We in the are. Morning. You know, yeah. we used to be Zoroastrians. <laughs> fire people up. Okay. You know the, this. So it's, yeah, you, it's part of this is actually regulates you. Who are these Persians you're running around with? I, there are Persians that go to bed at 10 p.m. But that, <laughs> rarely, come on. <laughs> How many, you know? 
Persians, when I talk to most of them, it's like the 12 o'clock right. the earliest. The, the 12, 12 o'clock, they're starting the cab off. Yeah, exactly. Then, yeah, they okay. eat dinner at the <laughs> at 10 o'clock, which I tell them not to. I go, your lightest meal should be at Okay, at so yes. So it's to organize your life, so you discipline your life, and you make sure that you do, I mean, okay, generally, if I'm not doing any of uh, in 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., I get up early in the morning to around 6.37 to go out with my dog we go, we, and we go mm -hmm. hiking, right? So I try to be in bed, in bed during the week, at least Monday to Friday by, by midnight. The latest. Okay, so you get about so six hours. Six hours. And, uh, and during the lunchtime, when I come home for lunch, I get like a siesta, like a oh, nap. Okay. Because in Europe, in Iran, it's even famous to do. And that's really like a boost. Uh, like me, if I get five, six hours of sleep, and I get half an hour of uh, nap after mm -hmm. my lunch. I feel better than if I were to get a straight. I've never been able. To, I've never been able to do yeah, the nap, the, people, the, yeah, the nap yeah, thing. I, I, if, if I do a nap, mm -hmm. I find that I wait. Uh, then I'm exhausted afterwards. But, but then my body how, thinks I didn't get enough how sleep. Long, how long do you nap if you? Oh, Two hours. <laughs> yeah, see, that's no, no, I know. No, I'm joking. I know <laughs> yeah. you're supposed to do yeah. like a 20 minute nap. Yeah, 20 minutes. I've never, to been, I've never been able to master that. Yeah, and it's like a, it's a boost. You just your your body's exhausted. You actually fall asleep faster than you know. Like I put on a meditation tape that's supposed to be like a healing meditation, to calm you down, and you know, within five minutes, I'm out. So, Peters, let, let me let me ask you about your your story. I mean it. It's um it's quite amazing how early this started for you your athleticism and your abilities, uh, but it's impossible to talk about your story without talking about your dad. So if, I hope it's okay if I can ask oh, a couple no, of questions about him. 100%. Your dad Farhad Varaste, uh was a martial arts grandmaster. He he was the father and founder of of karate in Iran. Um, for, for those listening who don't know his story, because so many folks do, but for those who don't. Tell, tell us what he was like as a person. Uh, as a person, um, he was the, he could be the kindest father, and at the same time, he could be the strictest. And uh, in short term, he put me at like such a young age. I was two and a half years old. As a matter of fact, I, we go back. There was a time apparently that my grandparents used to tell me this story that I was in diapers and he would stretch my legs <laughs> right. and that was his toy and uh, he's having fights with my grandparents all the time because they're gonna you're gonna this is not a is like it's a barbie a doll <laughs> you know it's gonna you're gonna pop his leg and he's like you guys don't know what what you're talking about you're gonna see what's gonna he's gonna be a champion and and so on and so he was he was a great father and um, you know he would buy me the best of toys and you know i had a motorcycle when i was like six years old a mini honda he got me but when it came to not doing what he asked you to do, he bought you a motorcycle when you were six years old. Yeah, six. That doesn't years sound very old, practical. Honda, I could barely like get on the thing <laughs> right. and ride it. Right. So okay. you started early. Get, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, but uh, we used to have an ambari place, so yeah. you know, like a storage room. Right. And as soon as you did something that he didn't want, your grades were low or uh, didn't come to karate classes and anything like this, he had the, uh, that was the best way. Actually, I think that you can teach discipline to your. To your kids tough, because, tough love. Yeah, because you know it's not by beating them or being overly nice to them. He would give all the gifts, but as soon as you didn't do what he asked you to do, this you would lose all your privileges, and all these things would go to the storage room to that ambar, and he had the key for two weeks. Mm. So you would lose that for two weeks, 
And if day 10, you messed up again, the two weeks would extend from that, right? <laughs> right. So uh, he was- No, no more mo motorcycle that you shouldn't be riding at the age of six Well, anyway. I mean, right. I would ride it in the backyard of the house. It was a <laughs> nice, beautiful bungalow <laughs> right. we had, and the backyard was large enough to- How did about. he, I, I know yeah. he famously sort of brought karate to Iran. Mm -hmm. How did he find karate? Well, to be honest with you, uh, we go back to my, uh, it's the strangest situation because my grandfather was uh, language of professors. He was a genius in languages mm -hmm. and he knew 46 languages of of the world and he would translate everything that would come for, to Shah Iran. He was in charge of Shah Iran's personal library. Yes. So he had like nothing to do with karate. He was like this and so he sent my father to, to school. He was in England and uh, while he was in England he got into a fight with a, with a boxer and the boxer like punched him in the face and uh, my father was disturbed because he lost the fight and then he got he, he wanted to beat this guy so he went out there and found out things and oh there's such thing as karate so he picked up learning karate in england as he was going to high school and uh, then the, he was later got transferred to geneva he was going to university of geneva and he was studying political science hmm. So while he was there, he started going, uh, he loved, had so much passion for karate that he started traveling and going to Japan in the summertime. And his master's name was Kori Hizataka. He was like 10th degree black belt, one of the best in uh, uh, you know, karate in Japan. And so he would take lessons from him and come back to school without my grandfather knowing, without his <laughs> knowledge. He would just use his pocket money, the money that was sent to him for you know, study. So, uh, you know, my grandfather by surprise went and visited him once and he, then he found out about this, that my father's not there. And in Geneva? Or yeah, where, yeah, that's when he was in Geneva. And then he just had to tell him what, what's going on, but his grades were up and he was doing great in school. So mm -hmm. as my grandfather, as long as he was doing great there, no problem, your studies, your marks are high, then you can do what you want. Anyways, he did both. He got his master's in political science and also he got his master's in, uh, he went to, um, the States and from University of Texas, he also got his master's wow. in university yeah, in uh, political science. Same time, karate was always in his life. And then at that point after, he traveled to Iran and uh, he decided that he wants to introduce this to his country of birth. And that's when the Shah of Iran was there. There was no martial arts of any kind. So he had to go through his, all these different challenges of going to try to prove that uh, that you can actually this fight with bare hand because yeah. karate actually means bare, uh, empty hand. Uh -huh. The meaning of karate translated, empty hand. So it uh, had to prove that you can actually fight with soldiers and uh, disarm them with you know bare hands. And mm. the way he learned karate back in his day was like karate combat, like it was street, uh, strictly like self-defense. Mm -hmm. They would uh, wear wooden armor suits and literally kick each other in the groin area and break the wooden path off mm -hmm. here. Everything that now it's in the world of sports karate is illegal, back then was legal. How did he get, uh, I mean, I say this with respect, but how did he get so well known? I, I'll meet mm. Iranians now of a certain vintage, if they're old enough, especially, mm. uh, who you say the name, Farhad Varista, they, they know, they mm. know who he is, they know who he was. Right. Uh, 
it occurs to me that in a place like Canada or the United States, we don't necessarily, unless you're in the field, we don't know the names of karate champions. Or oh, yeah, exactly. uh, why, why was why did he become such an icon in Iran? Well, I'll be honest with you. In Iran, uh, like I said, when he brought the sport, um, he got Shah of Iran's attention because he did some seminars for the army. So mm. he first had to open up all these doors to get there. Then once he got there, then he got into Shavran and he did a demonstration for Garda Shahan Shahi up in the mountains. And this is where the, um, the Shah of Iran got actually impressed by him because he started breaking some bricks mm. and fighting against some of the soldiers that would attack him with the machine guns and it had a knife in front. Okay, and he would show them how he can defend from this and Shah was very impressed. And then he broke some bricks and there's a picture uh, that um, the Shah Iran, himself yeah. was there. The Shah himself. Wow. Well, of course, okay. with the guard of the guard, the Shah and Shah actually <laughs> have the actual right, picture yeah. of that. And he had his marble table. He's sitting behind it. So there's a picture that he goes and looks at my father's hand. He looked his hand very much like mine. Mine is cut here, but he had a bigger hump here from breaking like bricks and so on. So uh, Shah is looking at his hand and he tells him, uh, Mr. Warsaw, how long does it take to? Uh, be able to break these bricks like three months or something and my father got sort of insulted because it really takes a lot longer to be able to break a brick especially Uh, those crazy bricks in Iran they've been cooked in some whatever temperature so he's like um, your Allah has that what is it that you think your highness that uh, a human being cannot break so he's looking around and they're in the mountains this is a true story and he's like well there's really nothing here. We're in the mountains. This old that you guys brought. And he's like, what about if I broke your marble table that you're sitting on? And there's this huge marble table. And he's like, well, how are you going to break this? It's quite an audacious thing to say to the show. Well, because... Well, I, I'm going to break your table. Yeah, but, but I mean, Shaw <laughs> could afford it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> anyway, so it took 14 uh, of his bodyguards. And, and he used to train Shah of Iran's bodyguards already at uh-huh. that time. Guard the Shah and Shahi, uh-huh. right? So they held up this table, uh, picked up the table, held it straight for my father to, to do a punch in the middle of it. And it was he punched shot and, and broke, broke the table. open to pieces. Uh, shot and then there's the picture afterwards that. And so and like, people find out about this. Uh, the, uh, well, I mean, the the people that had to find out about it because, you know, the Shah of Iran and the, the already the, the Garda Shah and Shahid. And of course, that spread like crazy. Right. So he started getting the rights of being able to teach this first only to, uh, uh, you know, maybe the army and so on. And then he got the permission. It's such a scene to, out of a movie. Yeah, yeah, it was, I'll, I'll, bra- I'll break your yes, marble table. Exactly. And the king so says, he no, you can't do that. Talk about trying to impress someone, <laughs> but, the, you know, the hardest right, way. Right. So after that, he, they just got introduced others and these other doors opened and they allowed him to teach it and open up uh, the academy and first two, three different places in Iran. And. Uh, then in 1977, he created a team that in men's team within a short period of time, they became third in the world. And, mm, you know, yes. like they faced like teams like, you know, the Japan, United States, so on. 1977, Iran team became all of a sudden third in the world, which is crazy. Like, what did you think of your dad's fame or, or I mean, were you aware of it at that point? Yeah, I was, I was aware of, I, I was actually the little guy always uh, been taken to the acad- academy, we called it. Uh, in Iran, and I was the guinea pig of my father's students. They always used to say, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, so we, you we would can be the pick one on your yeah. dad, but we can kick your butt. And they'll be like literally kicking me and making me a, become a poster, kicking me and sending me to the wall. That, I mean, 
that made me who I am actually. But at the time, I used to hate it. Like many nights, I went home like with tears in my eyes and so on. Well, let, let me um, ask you about that because mm. uh, f- first of all, you you got your black belt by the age of eight, right? Yes, I was what, roughly which eight, is nine insane. Years old. Yeah. I mean, that's a, a is that. That's not normal, right? Well, I mean, junior black belt, you can become. Well, later on, as people started taking the martial arts younger and younger, it became more normal. So you would become a junior black belt, and then, then you would go, and again, as you become an adult, mm. uh, retake it. I think by the age of eight, I had a white belt, and I don't think it ever changed color, no. to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you were irregular, right? <laughs> no, no, I, yeah. I think I, no, I quit before. Uh, I didn't have you as a trainer. Yeah, I, if I, you're I, extremely, <laughs> but that's, that's the thing with karate, is like, no matter God can be your trainer, you can come it, it takes a certain discipline if you you don't have that fighting spirit i mean everything is nice you're learning techniques and then the minute you receive that first kick in the head <laughs> yeah. or punch in the that's face that's pretty much yeah. people that at that time they just no it's not for me well i was pretty i was yeah. pretty good at soccer so and football so i was like yeah. i'll just stick with i'll stay in my lane right, right. this stuff i'm getting beaten mm. up and i can't i can't handle it yeah. uh did you so your your black belt at the age of 8 You've said, I've heard you say before that there was pretty much um, being your dad's son. I mean, it was almost impossible to assume that you were going to be anything other than an athlete. Yeah. Uh, do, do you feel like you ever had a choice or do, do you feel like this was inevitable that you had to be, you would go into this field and that you would become a champion? Um yeah, I really, it was in my blood because I, I truly believe that it's your your genes have a lot to say in this, in what you're asking me. If I were like, I had two cousins that basically are identical twins and one of them was exactly like me into sports, went to anything he wanted, he became a champion and his identical twin is an artist, completely never did a day of sport in your life, even though the same parents, mm. right? So you have to have it in your blood, but yeah, it definitely was from the push of the parent, my father. And uh, many times I actually was turned off of karate because I was getting beat up so many times by these big guys and stuff. And, and uh, you know, once my father just uh, looked at me, I'm like, I, I turned to him, I said, what are you doing this to me? And my grandfather actually used to have my back towards this. Like, mm-hmm. why you wanna turn this kid into, uh, you're putting him through torture, you know, having beat up, you know, coming home crying. And uh, he just said, one day he will know, right? Then when we traveled to France, you know, I was only like 16 years old. After the revolution. Yeah, after the revolution. And so we we actually, they knew my father, Jacques Delcourt, was um, the French president of karate. Just from knowing my father, he agreed that we would represent Iran from exile and travel from France to Italy and compete in European championships. Yeah. And at that time, I was only 16 years old. And you competed so for a year old? I competed uh, in that and uh, ended up, instead of like one gold medal, I got two gold medals in, in, in Kumite, which is fighting, and Kata, which is form. But hang on a second, Piers. Mm. Go back a couple of steps. This idea of you coming home crying um, and how hard this was for you, I feel like today that would be an issue yeah. i feel like somebody would i don't know intervene or say mm. you're being too hard on this kid or call child services or something uh, like that probably um everything has changed since but I don't, do you do you do you, do you think your dad was right i mean do you think that um, because obviously you've turned out to be you be honest with you i think he was right but things were different i i, I don't think we can compare it valid uh, my father like he didn't want me to be bachelor loose and 
uh, and all that is like you know I'm I had to represent and he had high expectations on me but like it's I a said lot of pressure earlier it's a lot of pressure I had a you. lot of pressure that way but he would never raise a hand and beat me up and so mm. that the other way we talked about he would put my belongings into that storage room right. so in as a father he was amazing to me can I ask you why there's so many um tragic stories heartbreaking stories around the revolution and people who had to leave people who were exiled people mm -hmm. who had to flee people who were unwittingly um needing to leave their belongings and get out what happened with your i mean on the face of it he's an athlete your dad he's not a political figure uh why did he end up having to leave iran well, uh, be honest with you, uh, he was a combination. He was a bit of a threat because uh, to them, first of all, anybody that could create big numbers, large numbers of people to go out there, it was a threat right. to them. And right. they already knew my father had so many followers. students and right. followers and in all different areas of Iran, you know, they would have students and practitioners and if he was to get out there and just say all oh, you guys come out it was a threat to the to the obviously to the government and but the other thing is they actually came and offered him that uh, you know just come and train the you know the army and let go of your students and he disagreed with that. the new army the, the, the new the army. Islamic, yeah, Republic. The Islamic Republic army so he disagreed with that so once he disagreed with that they they bothered him many times uh, he went to prison and uh, they took him, they would come to our house. I remember I was a kid, you know, like 3 a.m., break, break the windows, throw, you know, the tear gas inside, and we we're like kids and arrest my father and take him Why in. were they arresting him? Uh, they would arrest him and they just, exactly, like uh, work with us, and he would disagree. And it's like, I would work with you guys too, but I can't let go of all this generation of students and all this, uh, you know, Karate schools that I have across the country, and and, and was your so was it was it, it was an issue with your grandfather because your grandfather was directly um, working with the the, the Pahlavi regime? Was that well part of the problem, or in terms of not problem, but it was that why why well, the regime was having an issue? Exactly. Well, in a way, it was because I mean they used to call, uh, literally call us. You guys are Tagutis. You, know, you guys are from that, and your grandfather was this, you right, know, like you right. know this, and you guys go way back from that, and this no matter what. Even when I remember the last years of school, uh, they would tell me this, that, you know, you're, you guys, uh, your name is this, and as soon as it doesn't mix, you can't say that, you know, you're with mm -hmm. this regime. And I'm like, well, we're adopting, and uh, so on. So, but they didn't really have anything on him to, to execute him, but they had enough on him that actually a couple of times they they took your grandfather to or your no, father? my father they your took father. him to uh you know where they're executed and they executed the couple of people beside him and wow. they were blindfolded and then they didn't kill him they said it's not your time so they he went through a lot of mental stress so that's why when finally uh you know he happened to be lucky to have enough students around that one of them went over there and he had his go at the um, comité and he got him out and uh, this time when he came out and he's like you guys better try to uh, flee the country and so we fleed we went through turkey and uh, on foot uh, literally uh, flee, literally right? well it wasn't exactly well a lot of areas was on foot but uh, my father paid someone we were supposed to be on these horse magic horses yeah. and three hours later be on the other side of the uh, turkish border and then from there we were guaranteed we're going to be on a plane and, you know and to the states but this was going on right at the time that um, 
you know, the hostages from U.S. that was going, uh, taking yeah. place. So we, we got held back in Istanbul for four months and my father was just spending money in hotels and whatnot. And after four months, they rejected to give us visa. And that's how we ended up going to, to Paris, France, because from this point, uh, my father, he just knew the French Federation the president, Jacques Delcourt, and he said, just send a telegram at the time to him. Mm. We didn't have the email system now. I mean, I've, I've asked and, uh, Nassim, the next day. Uh, yeah. your sister, about this, but she, of course, was uh, just a few months old. Yeah, she was only, uh, when we left Iran, she was like six, seven months little old. Little baby, yeah. Baby. So, but you weren't, you weren't. You no. were cognizant, you were in your early teens or yes, mid-teens. Yes. So I was probably 12, around 12. Well, how, how? How does that period where they're breaking your windows and arresting your dad, how, how does that affect you for the rest yeah. of your life? To be honest with you, it was, it was really um, hard to take, you know, but uh, what doesn't kill you make you stronger. It built a lot of character for us, you know, with the things that we saw in our childhood and then, you know, just going and not knowing all of a sudden, you know, we're, we escaped the country at that time was good enough. We're safe. We're just, you know, we learn to be grateful all the time. You know what I mean? At this point, we're alive. We left the country. Okay, we don't go to the States, but we're in France. It's a civilized country. We ended up like from not speaking a word of French, going directly to school. So now I speak French, so I take that as a blessing as well. You weren't so, angry at having um, to, were you uh, were you an a angry as a kid? No, why why did this happen? Why do I have to leave Iran? No, why do I, I don't. I just my own personality. I, I I just never. I was never. I never felt that way. Angry, but to answer that question is like even now, like. There's not a second in my life that I regret because there's friends that I have, there's things that I've done right now that it was all the cause of all these other things that happened. Even if it meant like losing my country. I do miss my country. I'm in touch with a lot of people. We have heart to hearts messaging each other on Instagram. The things that I do nowadays and it affects a lot of hearts, it affects a lot of people. I try to help them in whatever way I can, but um, you know, you're you're there. You know, you just don't want to change anything. You know? By the time you come to Canada, I'm going to ask you about being a champion, a Canadian champion, in a moment. Mm -hmm. But but uh, did you did you always feel welcome uh, in the Canadian martial arts community, or uh, or was it difficult at first? I mean, I'm thinking you come here in the '80s. Yeah. It's a little bit of a different attitude towards Iranians than than today. Yeah, that's but actually a yeah, good question because in Canadian martial arts. We actually, my father's first dojo, which is the, the karate training hall, was in a small little basement of 1,500 square feet in Lawrence and Pharmacy area. And um, that's where he built this, like, major champions who became our fourth, fifth generation of uh, fighters, which my sister Nassim happened to be one of them because she was one of the little ones. And so all these people, they were all around the uh, ages. So, um, they were from six, seven years old, some of them five, six years old. We had five, six year old to seven, eight year olds at the time. Nassim was around that eight, nine and coming. So we created like a, you know, a bunch of like mini uh, ninjas. Okay. <laughs> and part of the reason Nassim became so amazing is because all her fighting partners were guys. Right. So at first uh, it was a business. My father wanted to just have a karate school just for survival. But then when we had enough numbers, he's like, okay, why don't we start competing here? We entered the first Karate Ontario competition and we had pretty much everybody in each uh, weight class and myself was competing at the time too. Then we had some higher black belts, older, every age group. First Ontario championships, 77 clubs competing. 
we ended up getting first, second, third place. First, second, third place of every class. Wow. From the little guys all the way to us. And then these guys are like, oh, some weird guy. I mean, karate was not anything that, that they hadn't seen. Like, they would tell us, you guys came from the movies. You guys are ninjas. Right, like, right, you're just right. amazing. This, Cobra this, Kai. This, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, beyond that. Like, it was just, oh. we outclassed. We just, we would fall with each other to get first, second, and third. So, two, three, long story short, two, three tournaments like this, we went, and these guys are like, oh, my God, like, they're killing us, you know? So they had to find reasons like one of our spectators that was screaming too loud for his kid competing, clapping, like reasons, crazy reasons oh, like wow. this to ban us from competition for two years. So that just made us stronger. We came, we trained harder after two years. We went same thing, we repeated the same thing, same thing and ended up, you know, the top three of Ontario championships, they get chosen to go to Canadian championships to compete for Canada's. Mm. So when you go to Canada's, then the top three, then we went to Canada and we did in Canadian champion, we did the same thing. <laughs> Again, we got A, A, B, C rated. So we got all the Canada's <laughs> same way. We're a plane of uh, fighters. Again, from 77 dojos, most of the Canadian championships, uh, champions were from our club and my sister Nassim including and I was still competing at the time so we all got like gold medals in our next coming what back. was it like for you um it's kind of the million dollar question right? I mean uh you end up coming to Canada and becoming a champion for Canada wearing the Canadian flag you're a kid who grew, grew up in Iran right, you competed right, right. for Iran even when you're in France you competed with the Iranian flag mm -hmm. uh what yeah. what was it like being a becoming a Canadian champion? You know, um, be honest with you, I just appreciated that Canada let us in, and uh, we felt not that I would say right away we felt Canadian, but uh, the opportunity to come or to go over there. I mean, if they would ask me, uh, even though I was a Canadian citizen, if they asked me if you're Canadian, I would say I'm a Persian Canadian. You know, and I still say it because I'm not. Uh, ashamed of where I come from but Canada gave us comfort they got we got the opportunity to do and I felt just as proud being on the podium with the Canadian uh, flag and then I got the opportunity to go international uh, the time that I became a Canadian champion I was involved in the in an attack many people attacked me on the downtown Toronto I don't know if you heard of that yeah machetes I, and knives and I wasn't my fingers I wasn't sure like if I was bringing bring that up is that a, I mean what do no, you no, uh, no, the reason is I'm talking about it is because when I became a Canadian champion this has already happened before they, so what, they what were attacking my head and I the, blocked a bunch of guys uh, jumped you or no, what it was what? a gang of uh, people but uh, it's not like they knew me and this gang they were from uh, from Buffalo mm. right so at the time three four guys jumped a friend of mine and I went to help him out and as I put these guys off of them one of them screamed is this you know this son of a gun whatever knows martial arts next thing you know there's 15 20 people coming with chains and the, the wow. you know yeah they had these big like machetes and stuff and I just thought there's a like a, a wooden thing and no there's a shiny thing it was like a metal bar coming to my head and I just as a reflex pulled my arm up to block the metal and it was a machete so it went all the way to the bone and the, it cut a nerve here like this the blood was just shooting out it was ridiculous like on these people's face and people were panicking it was like July 12th in the summertime and people are just uh, nobody's helping like they're just scared they're sitting in their car so for a minute and a half they're attacking like if they would have got me how, down how for old a second were you when this happened this this is uh 1990 so 
we go back. In your 20s? In your yeah, 20s, exactly, yeah. my 20s, in my yeah, mid-20s later. So the reason I brought this up is six months after, that, I was supposed to go a year and a half to therapy. The therapy got short in six months, and they told me, Pierce, you can move your hands, whatever. And then uh, another six months after that, I entered and won the Canadian Championships That's for amazing, the first time. Man. Which That's the right. doctors told me you'll never make a fist. So just uh, up here, I never uh, gave Mark up. Mark Messier winning the, the the Stanley Cup on a broken leg. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. So you know, when you don't accept it up there in your mind, and it's like, that's my love, that's my passion. Don't tell me I can't do it. So, but then when I repeatedly broke my finger here, this gave me the now, idea. Now, now I'm obsessed with looking at your finger. It's yeah, kind of mangled, that finger. Yeah, this this is um, well, it, the it, way. It's I got two screws in here, and I got two screws in that one. Wow. So they told me if you go back to competition, break it one more time, it would be ridiculous. It would just stick out like this, and we'll make a fist. And that's where the idea of competing in bodybuilding t- uh, came to my I was going to ask you about bodybuilding. Exactly. Why, why did you go? Because you're a champion in karate and mm. kick, kickboxing as well, I should mention. Yes, but then you go into bodybuilding. Yeah. I didn't even know that bodybuilding and karate, now that I've researched yeah. you, I, I know you've talked Nothing about the fact that they actually go together in some ways, but I, I thought that they would be the opposite. Like, what, you know, but, but why did you want to go into bodybuilding? So one thing that whenever I won karate championships, and this I haven't, many, I haven't really shared this with people before, maybe I have in one or two interviews, is because no matter what I won, people told me, well, big deal, your father is Mr. Shinan Farhad Varasta, so it's only normal for you to win. Uh, karate championships. I never felt like I got credited for it. It's like, but huh. it's still my sweat and blood. You know, I'm right. going there competing. I never got that credit that I wanted. And I'm like, that was one That's reason. That's the I curse like, of being uh, the yeah. progeny of a famous exactly. person. So right? that was one reason. I, um, I just wanted to become a champion in something else. And then bodybuilding was around there. I always did weight training on the side. And my father always introduced weight training, even from Iran when he had his academy. He would tell people weight train. At the time that people didn't believe weight training was mm. good for you because back in the days, if you if you look at basketball players in the 70s, they're all very slim type people. You sure. Know? Karim yeah. Abdul-Jabbar's time. Yeah. Look at them. They're all slim and tall. Look at the uh, basketball players now. They're all like muscular because they got right. proven that you can have muscle, you can actually function better and, and you will not get injured as easily, right? right. So it got proven in, in that sense. So my father from back then, he had that belief that weight training is good for you. So and we did weight training on the side to our power and our techniques. And Your father and wasn't whatnot. a small guy. He was pretty no, broad. No, 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 he was built. Yeah, he has yeah, a yeah. demonstration that they're breaking stuff on yeah. him and that's where I got he it He broke the I marble table, I know. And yeah, he yeah. did <laughs> that and he was a powerful guy, but he wasn't a bodybuilder. He did weight training on the side and uh you know and he did it for the image of it for the look of it and to have the power let me while i'm asking you why you love bodybuilding let me ask you just a in general about martial arts so what mm. i mean it's it's you, you've lived it your family lives it it's part of who you are mm. if somebody were to be new to it or were thinking about enrolling their kids in it or were thinking about taking up karate or mm. a woman a man whomever who's out there why do you love martial arts or why would you recommend it? Uh, martial arts is a way of life, okay? It's not just coming and learning punching and kicking. You know, what you learn in specifically in karate, because karate is very disciplined. And uh, my father used to say karate is a miniature version of life. It teaches you when a door shuts on you, you don't back up. You open up another door hmm. and you go in, right? I wouldn't be the person who I am today, you know, humble and uh, you know it makes you humble it makes you down to earth 
uh, it makes you like the best athletes in the world. They're like, they're not cocky people. You know, mm. if you you know you you know what you can do, you don't need to prove it. The mm. best people on the planet, they don't go talk highly about themselves. Other people talk highly about them. So, your your sister Nassim, we I, I have to ask you a little bit about her because she's a multiple champion as well. Mm -hmm. Um, she's younger than you. I know you played a mentoring role in her life. Were you guys, uh, especially when you were younger, were you competitive? I mean, would, well, uh, would it piss you off that she does so well? Or, or Not at all. I'm proud of her. I always brought it when, and when I created my boot camp. Actually, I would bring my sister in as the guest of honor many times and introduce her. I'm super proud of her. She's uh, the most accomplished athlete in the uh, world of karate in Canada. Not only that, the first Canadian coach ever. Uh, for men and women, uh, I've always been proud. There's no such thing because I was actually uh, part of, I, I look at it, I was part of the reason that she is who she is because me and my father, with that age difference of 15 years, my father wouldn't spar with all these generations. I'm the one who would kick them around. And, uh, you know, Nassim was just one of them. I mean, mm. maybe, you know, uh, I made her cry a few times, but then I was coaching her. There's pictures in Canada, Karate Canada that I'm there warming up her legs, getting her ready for competition. So, you know, if we were like, uh, the, I mean, there should be no jealousy among siblings, but uh, I just think that if we were closer in age or if it was a guy to guy, maybe it would be more of, a, uh, more of that, what you're talking about. But uh, no, there's nothing but... Uh, but love and I'm, I'm proud and just a proud older brother and glad that in my way that I could contribute and during the tough times that she became who she she is and then she went and uh, you know got more accomplished and went more into uh, you know traveling and and uh, making herself so well, you guys but, are quite a quite a duo. But uh, uh, you're quite a. You saw when you came to Dojo, all of a sudden, boom, we blend. Let's hold mitts. Yeah, let's go yeah, back. That's yeah. kind of how we used to be back yeah, then. You know yeah, what I mean? It's, so it's really you. So, you, have yeah. an, you have your own language physically with each other too. Oh, yeah, of Watching course. you two together, yeah, it's just it's a little a, eye contact. Boom, boom. We're gonna yeah. do this. We're gonna put on a show. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and that's she's always my little sister. But I mean, I'm proud of her, and she's done great for Karate Canada and she's broken the records of a woman, woman power kind of a thing, let's say. Piers, it's a, it's a, it's a great pleasure to have you here. I really have appreciated our talk. I wanna, before I let you go, ask you just a couple more questions about your dad mm -hmm. because um, you, you posted a, um, a video on New Year's Day um, which was your late father's birthday, right? His birthday was uh, yeah, New it was Year's uh, Day, yeah, January first. Yeah, yeah, December thirtieth. December thirtieth. Between that and January. 1st. You 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 posted um, this video of him doing moves and mm -hmm. and then you kind of following those moves. Yes, and, that's um, what I did. That five a.m. The, by the way. Oh, okay. Well, that was full the same circle. One We're he back did to in nineteen seventy-seven, and I did that ah. after him. Well, that's it's a beautiful I post that I encourage yeah. people like they can go see it on. But what what I thought was interesting was. Is that you hashtagged best friend? Yes, because we so, are best friends, actually. He, uh, well, tell me about that. I mean, yeah. he was obviously your mentor. He was your father. Yeah. Tell me about the best friend part. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Wow, you're a very detailed person. Nice, nice of you to notice this because many people they don't notice that. My father, we, uh, I mean, besides the world of karate, that he was super strict with me. But we would go hunting together. We would go and talk about anything. I was. I had a very open relationship. I was never afraid to talk about women to him, and he would talk to me about 
uh, all of that and uh, you know super close uh, proper but very close and uh, we spend like you know in Iran Fridays was the holidays so we do barbecues together and you know go to Shomal together we had so many memories and again in France and so it wasn't just a relationship of karate and all that so the fact that I was just you know like many people can't talk to their father about many things mm-hmm. to me I could talk to him and when my injuries happened he was by my side and he would take me to rehab and uh, all of that so like he was a great father my father was a he was a str- he was strict but he was a great father he always supported us he uh it was easy to talk to and uh and he's clearly always top of mind for you i mean you uh, father's day happened not too long ago and you um you did a tribute uh with the family around to your dad and you had a, uh, and and i i know you lost him uh just uh, uh yeah. not that long ago it was a couple of years yeah, ago 2015. um uh, how, how did you deal with that uh to be honest with you, um, well, I lost him through cancer and he had multiple myeloma and his type of cancer was the type that was not sort of like, I mean, it was fourth level when we found out. And um, he just couldn't go get chemotherapy because it affects your, your blood and bone. So if you get chemo and radiation, th- that you know starts destroying your bone and breaks you down faster. But they would give you these pills that would have some chemotherapy in it and just reduce the time. So. At uh, the time that he found out, they said he's got six months to live, you know what I mean? So uh, the six months, you know, it, it turned to six years. Mm. And, uh, you know, like he just, you know, suffered so much as it started getting, you know, towards the end of it and, and, and so on. So, uh, f- again, I had another almost like so many memories from that time you know that with him so it's kind of like you know they, they said that when you become older you become a kid again mm. so it we would reminisce on a good day with all of that and uh, you know what was the main question again well, I, I just I mean yeah, the, the just, fact yeah. that he was your dad yeah. he's he was your professional coach and he was your best friend yeah that, exactly that's, that was that's the a best lot. friend thing so we became that best friend thing, exactly, that's what I was getting at. That re- happened again towards the end. So, you know, that I saw him at his weekend, and he just didn't want anyone to know. Like many of his students asked me, why didn't you tell us that is, I'm, I'm listen, I would put up a picture with my father on Instagram. Uh, unfortunately, this, I'm going to say it's in your show, like I don't care, like, you know, Persians, unfortunately, we uh, pay more attention to people that we lose than when they're in this planet with mm. us. You know, when my father was here, other than 15 20 of his students will not ask how he's doing how's the master how this that and as soon as he passed away all of a sudden you know would put a picture with him on facebook and get 20 com uh, 20 likes not even comments all of a sudden as soon as he passed away the, the, yeah. this started you know Ruheshun shot everybody's like you know this this and all like poems and poems and honestly, I would really love, and I pass this message all the time in my Instagram when I talk about things. I'm like, guys, just love each other more when you're in this planet. You know, appreciate each other, learn from each other. You could have used them. Now I got this cutter tape out after all that. And all you write is under the cutter tape, you write, uh, Ruhe shot. Like, you know, hmm. God bless him, God bless him, God bless him. I said, you're not even putting this cutter that he put his sweat and blood on the line on your story and sharing it with your students. So. Anyways, love you, Dad. 
and uh, yeah, we were best friends. We were father, son, we were best friends, we were uh, everything, he was, he was my everything. And uh, how I dealt with this was very hard. I was very broken, even though he, he died in my arms. You know, the hospital called us and they told us um, he's breathing in a way that we know he's gonna go soon, so please make it here. We rushed to the hospital and uh, I, I hugged them and just uh, in his ears, I just said, listen, you suffered enough, just let go, you know, let go. And uh, he did. And uh, when he let go, just, phew. I don't want to get emotional here, but um, for three weeks I was messed. The ceremony we had like a really nice ceremony for him. We d it was almost like a military ceremony. We we had the karate's lineups and we did the Japanese talk and bowing to him the way we did in the class. Mm -hmm. And um, three weeks later, I just was just destroyed. One day I was having lunch, and um, this is real. My God knows I'm telling the truth. I just said. God, can you just show me some sign that he's in peace, that he's doing well, that I, I just shouldn't be so broken right now, and he doesn't want me to be like this, and just show me a sign that he's happier and where he is. Like, I have a crystal, uh, a little beatrice kind of a thing with my crystals are in it, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, stand, and all these crystals, they started, like, vibrating. That never, ever happened before ever and never happened after that for a minute and a half i filmed it i can show it to you if you want just vibrating non-stop and i'm like this is impossible i started i walked towards it i filmed it and then it stopped after a minute and a half so yeah. that day put closure and that changed my way of doing things and this is the peers that you see now peers varasta i i thank you for your uh, positivity for what you what you bring to the community and um, for sharing the story today and and for trying to convince me to wake up at five a.m. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's go with the six one. Now. Be out at six. Yeah, I'll be, be there. I'll six. be. I, I I'm up for it. Actually, I'll, I'll come once with you if it makes your life easier. We'll no, go. We'll do hiking. Well, of course I'm going to come with you. We'll, what are you going to go by myself? Or no, I'm no, gonna come no, with no. You? I'm just saying. Can yeah. Oogie come? No, since I'm Can not. Can Oogie yeah, the dog yeah, come? We'll, you bring Oogie and I bring Rex and we'll, that's uh, it. We'll do it. this. I love it. We'll do Thank it. you, brother. We'll Thanks it. for this. It's a pleasure being here. I appreciate it, Sean. Thank you very much. Professional fitness trainer, wellness coach, former European and Canadian champion in karate and bodybuilding, Piruz Varaste. Uh, you can find Piruz under his name on Instagram and follow his personal fitness advice and routines. Piruz Varaste, join me in the Rook studio today. This is full time for Rook for today. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, our website is the hub of all things Rook. The hub of all things Rook. If you want any information about us our contact information our previous episodes our guests our funnies our videos our different programs as part of the rook media network rookmedia.com r-o-q-e media.com where you can also support us and subscribe thanks to the amazing team who put this show together savvy roham talented anahita ponce the artist the fabulous key on super patty saw smart pega captain resident groovy shia thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content please subscribe if you've not done so already and tell a friend to do so as well find me on instagram at gian gomeshi mizunbashin 